You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are back on the Oz Network for week number two of Avengers Month. As we're going through April, talking all about the Avengers, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Captain America, Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, and then the others like Hawkeye and Black Widow and Quicksilver. Oh boy, we're there already, people. Uh, today is week number two and movie number two, Avengers Age of Ultron, the sequel to the 2012 movie, which broke almost every box office record imaginable, and this one broke pretty much all those same box office records. The result, though, for the movie itself, uh, we teased this in the last movie, one that I'm not really a fan of, so I haven't seen this now in three years since it originally came out. Uh, it's going to be interesting to talk over this and see which opinions of mine changed and which didn't, because some things did change in my opinions for the better and some changed for the worse. So uh, we'll see how this one goes. Um, Do I get to talk yet? <laughs> you boys crap. My name is Colin, and I'm not the boss in my marriage. I just design everything, pay for it, and make everyone else look cooler. And my name is Jamie, and... Actually, I have a feeling that I'm going to anger you later on. <laughs> you will, if it's anything like our last episode, which, just as a recap, if anybody hasn't heard it, go back and listen to our episode of the first Avengers movie, um, where I was more critical of it than I thought I was going to be, um, as it was always, I guess, one of my favorite Marvel movies, a superhero movie that I loved, and I didn't really think it held up that well six years later, but the second half of the movie definitely did. I was high on enough to give it a buy it. Jamie, you binned the Avengers, and you've only binned one movie ever on here, so I have no idea where this one's going to go, because you had no memory of this movie whatsoever. I, uh, you know, I wasn't really that big of a fan of the other movie at all, and this one, uh, I have to say, and we'll get into it, obviously, but I have to say, this one actually did find more entertaining. Oh my goodness, no. (laughs) Yeah. Don't do this to me. Okay, I, I just have to, I have to, I have a memory like Dory, so I have to remember. The other Avengers movie, that's the one with the Chitauri or whatever, right? <laughs> yes, we watched it seven days ago. <laughs> okay, I know, but that's the right one, you know, Tony yes, Stark the, the, puts a nuke in the sky. Yeah. Yeah, this one's better. Oh, that's disgusting. That's completely disgusting. Th- I told you I was going to make you angry. This, this is a funny thing, because I, I think, this isn't even just my opinion, I mean, it, They've even made fun of it on Oz trailers. That it doesn't matter if Marvel puts out a movie that's garbage. You know, the Marvel fans are all like, "This movie was amazing." Um, and sadly, I think that seems to be a lot of people's opinions who don't watch this movie close enough to really realize how bad it is. But I just remember seeing this in 2015 and being really excited because I was still high on pretty much all the movies up until that point, with the exception of the Thor's and maybe Iron Man Two. Um, I wasn't that crazy about Iron Man Three either, but let's just say Thor's and the Iron Man sequels not great. Uh, but I had high expectations for this. I thought Ultron was going to be a great villain. Uh, James Spader doing the voice. I expected we'd get, you know, maybe a little bit more of James Spader in this, uh, a little bit more of Ultron in it. But I just remember it didn't even take till the end of the movie. It was like 30 minutes into this. And, and here's here's the funny thing. This is gonna, this is going to sound like a weird story. Whenever there's a movie I'm really excited about, I always guarantee that I always end up having a dream about it maybe a few weeks before the movie comes out. And... It's just like when I eat food in my dreams, the food always tastes terrible. It doesn't matter if it's my favorite food on the planet. The food will taste awful in my dreams. 
And it's the same thing with movies. There'll be a movie I'm excited about, whether it's a Star Wars movie or you know whatever else. And then I'll see it in my dream, and because my mind is just making weird stuff up on the spot, I still have those expectations that I'm going to love this movie. And they, oh, it's not matching it even in my dream. I just have no way of separating this is a dream, and I always get disappointed. I felt 30 minutes into this like this was one of those bad dreams I was having where I'm like, there's no way this movie could be this bad. Like That was my thought in 2015. Um, I don't really have any different opinions now. <laughs> I still think this is a bad Marvel movie. It is a bad movie. I disagree with oh, you. Oh, of course you would. I think it was... I think you read my notes going into this and you were looking for someone to argue about. No, I actually I, I didn't read any of it, but um, I thought that a lot of... Uh, points in it were funnier and part of it was a lot more interesting and i also really like scarlet which she's my favorite so well there are some things they do well in this movie um but but there is some things that were funny there's one thing towards the end with scarlet which that's funny that i'll have to mention yeah we'll wait till we get there uh you're used to jumping ahead five minutes before i talk about a scene now you're gonna jump in two hours to, okay, okay. That means you have to pay attention to what I'm saying instead of zoning out, yes. playing with your hair, and not listening to me. Um, just before we get into this, I mean, I do remember seeing this. You weren't even sure you saw this movie with me until we sat down to watch the first one, and you were like, is this the one where this happens? I'm like, no, that's the second. You, this movie made so little of an impression on you in 2015 that you didn't remember you ever saw it. And the sad thing about that is, is that you could remember seeing Thor The Dark World with me, which was a terrible movie. And even you walked out of that. You're like, this movie's terrible. But yeah. you remembered it. You had, you just, this made zero impression on you in 2015. Yeah, but the last movie, we recorded a podcast last week and I already pretty much forgot it. <laughs> but at least there was entertaining stuff in there. This, I'm going to make a big argument for why this is one of, you not, didn't, you not didn't the worst. You didn't watch it close enough then. Oh, I watched this close enough. Uh, not the worst, but one of the worst Marvel movies ever. And I will go as far as to say, one, not one. I said last week, one of the worst superhero movies ever. There are definitely worse ones. I mean, if you're going to include Elektra in there, uh, Catwoman, the remake of Fantastic Four, uh, Daredevil, Ghost Rider. I mean, those are bad, bad, like Let, terrible superhero movies. This is maybe the most disappointing superhero movie ever made. Let's give the people what they want and start the movie. Well, we're not watching the movie right now. We're just talking about. It. We're assuming they've um, already I'm watched. Just, it. I'm just saying, give give me the scene. Start start it off for me. Oh, okay. Well, you're taking control of this already. Like I I'm said, not. I'm not the boss of this marriage. I just design everything, pay for it, and make everyone else look cooler. Hey, I work too. <laughs> I have a job. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Uh, the movie kickstarts right away. Now you mentioned the new characters. I, I love how you said Scarlet Witch. Nobody ever says they like Quicksilver in this movie. Uh, we'll get into Quicksilver uh, a little bit later on, yeah. but the twins, they were set up, I think it was the post credit scene of The Winter Soldier. Uh, where I they don't remember. Well, you wouldn't remember. Um, you remember last week's movie. We're going to come back next week, and you're going to be on this preview episode of Infinity War with us, and you're going to be like, um, did I like Age of Ultron or not? You're not even going to remember. But um, anyways, so um, we have the twins at the beginning. Now, this is Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, which... We'll get into a little bit more of the details maybe when Quicksilver does something interesting in this movie because there's a few moments. Uh, but they had the rights to use them in this movie. Everybody knew they were going to use them. I think originally people thought it was just going to be Scarlet Witch, but and it kind of got confused because this was in production around the same time of Days of Future Past, which, by the way, that is a great superhero movie. Uh, I can't even go into all the areas why that one's better. But uh, 
I don't know if a lot of people were really excited for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. It's one of these things where they're almost, I'm not going to say they're throwaway characters, but they're B characters. But they're introduced right away. I mean, they are, the post-credit scene of, you know, Winter Soldier, I believe it was, they open this movie. They, and... they, they definitely could have done a better job with those characters, for sure. I will agree with you with that. Like, I think they're really cool, but I don't think that they utilize them to their full potential. Well, they're in. Here's another one not utilized to full potential, and this is gonna be one of my major complaints in this movie, which is something that I think continues with some of the Marvel movies now, even the good ones. Uh, Baron Strucker, who we got introduced to again in that same post-credit scene, where he's the one who's kind of been experimenting on them. Here they find out they can't use the word mutation, they can't use the same origin due to the, the whole way the whole rights are tied up with Fox um, and the Quicksilver thing we saw in Days of Future Past, but. Uh, Strucker experimented on them here. So this is what gave them their powers. Now, Baron Strucker, this is a more major character from the Marvel uh, comic books. They got, I'm not going to say he's a huge star, but like Thomas Kretschmann, uh, you know, he's a German actor who made a you know, big appearance in uh, the movie Downfall, which um, probably the greatest movie about Hitler ever made, about the last, literally the last days of Hitler. Uh, and then he had, I guess, his English language uh, major role was in The Pianist with Adrian Brody, which he was great in that. Uh, he, he's done a ton of other things. He was in King Kong too, uh, and then obviously he gets a role in here. So he's not like huge, huge star, but I think he's a major enough actor and a good enough actor that when they cast him and they said, we're going to have Baron Strucker in this, we expected he'd be at least a henchman and not a guy who's thrown away basically in the pre-title scene here. I was going to say, yeah, they, they're not in there for very long. Yeah. And anyways, this movie basically opens it. And I, when I saw this, I'm like, well, this is a cool way to open a movie. It's a. We complained last time about how the opening sequence of the first Avengers. It's like, yeah, it's all right, but it's not like a James Bond pre-title sequence. It's just your your run-of-the-mill opening action scene. This was, I guess, better on paper. This massive attack and the movie just opens with the Avengers all teaming up together, which I did find weird when I first saw this in 2015. That we haven't seen any combinations of these characters outside of, you know, maybe in the Winter Soldier we had the Black Widow and you know Steve. Um, I was going to say Steve Trevor, Steve Rogers teaming up. But uh, in this movie, it's just they're all together again, which felt a little weird to me that we had no explanation as to why Thor is back to Earth. They throw it away. They're going after Loki's scepter or whatever. But it's just this big raid on this castle. And, you know, we get a lot of very quick action, which does not look great in this. Um, well, yeah, they don't explain the Thor thing. Uh, and I was going to actually comment, too, on my first note here. Actually, when it's talking about when you get dropped right into the action, that the effects are actually so incredibly bad. Yeah. And, and you know what's funny is the rest of the movie actually is is okay. I don't have well, the same. I, no, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's amazing, but there's just something about this opening like action scene, the the fighting scene and stuff like that, that the effects for everything are so incredibly bad. I I pinpointed it out for one thing. You know, people often complain about the overuse of special effects in other movies. This movie almost set a record for the amount of visual effects shots. Like, blowing away even something we'd see in Star Wars. So I think this movie, more than anything, has an over-reliance on CGI, especially in the action scenes. Because when you have these characters like Thor and Captain America, where you can see them in hand-to-hand combat, I don't know why we need to see these over-top effects with everything. And there's things they're doing in this movie which... I think look cool because you do have to sell their superhero, but they go so over... It's almost like in The the Last Jedi where the Force powers are so over the top. I feel like the superhero powers are so over the top in this movie that they can only do it with CGI, and the effects do look bad early on here. 
Um, particularly the Thor effects of him just flying around. Oh, like, yes. It looks like a cartoon. Oh, it looks so bad. Uh, and some of the effects, like what we see of Ultron, are okay later on. But also there's moments with Ultron where it's not great. But the way I pinpoint it, and tell me if you notice this at all, the characters all seem to be moving almost too quick a pace. Yeah. No matter who it yeah. is. Yeah, I understand it Iron Man. unrealistic. Can, yeah, Iron Man can fly fast. I get that. Captain America can move fast. I get that. Thor can fly. He can move fast. I get that. But in all of their solo movies, they moved at a realistic speed. And it's not just the speed they move at that's unrealistic. It's the way that the jerky movements are. Like, there's really jerky, fast It, it looks fast like movements. it's literally just CGI. It doesn't even look like It, it looks like it is them. something done by a college student, you know, yeah. uh, in some type of special effects class. I, I do have a question. Um, I had... Uh, written this down here because you told me to, and it is. I told you, right? yeah. And Jamie, write this. Well, because I start to ask you this, and you said write it down. Yeah. Um, it's in this scene too, so I'm not getting ahead. Um, I was wondering, how does Captain America's shield work like a boomerang? Because he's <laughs> well, it's a it's a circle, and so usually, obviously, a frisbee, you throw it, and it just keeps going, and it doesn't come back to you. Um, so why is his shield like a boomerang like you said that in the movie and i i don't think i noticed a moment where it acted like a boomerang without an explanation but again this is something that works so much better in the other movies uh particularly i've said it several times i think the most underrated marvel movie is captain america the first avenger the first captain america where when he would do this he would throw it and it would hit a tree or it would ricochet off a tree and you would see it if it was making a full circle and moving his way around almost like a boomerang, you would see it very lightly grazing trees, so that spin it had on it, it would naturally move it a little. Here, I don't know. I mean, maybe well, it's was, just it was, it's it, too subtle? It, it hit, like, and it did go in a circle in the way that what the targets were, but um, with uh, how he threw it, it was like a circle of bad guys that he all took out with it. Yeah, well, maybe it's bouncing off. I don't know. It's... It, it, it just, didn't look it, great. It seemed really unrealistic. Yeah, maybe it, I maybe I have to go back and watch over again. But it didn't look great in here. Um, uh, I think the Iron Man thing. Yeah, you could explain him flying fast. But again, I, I mentioned this when we did the Spider Man recaps last year with Ben, and I always remembered the complaints about the visual effects in the first Spider Man movie. That when he's holding, do you remember that scene in the first Spider Man movie where he's holding that um, cable car? Uh, and he's lowering it down to the ground or whatever. And I remember one critic basically saying that you could, there was no weight there. It, it was just like his hand was wrapped around it and you didn't feel the weight. If you're doing effects like this, you have to feel the weight of stuff. And with Iron Man, when he's flying around, I get that he has all these powerful boosters and everything, but it's a heavy suit and you need to be able to see like if he's landing on the ground that he's digging up ground at the same time. It's just all that's missing. It's almost like they had all these great visual effects shots, and even though they had three years to make this movie, they were just rushed, and, and somehow they didn't have the time to really think through and, and I don't know, do the post-production work that was needed or, or on Or maybe there. they just didn't really think about it. Or maybe Joss Whedon was already on bad terms with Marvel, which we'll get into later. Um, we have, obviously, the Hulk in action here, so now we know the Hulk's just a regular member of the team. And... The most controversial thing that starts happening here, which I'll mention a little bit later on, is the Black Widow being the calming one to the Hulk, where she brings him down. Uh, that's going to come up later on, so just want to mention it now. Uh, as we get in there, we get the Scarlet Witch getting to Tony 
she starts... First of all, I don't know why Tony loses his suit. It's probably explained in the movie, but he just jumps out of the Iron Man suit. I, I made a note about that, too. And actually, I, I made a note... This You're you're ahead of me now, but I, I had made a note, too, as well, that it was hilarious when Tony Stark was actually taking out the bad guys there, and he's like, good talk. And, and they're all groaning on the ground, and they're like, oh, not good. Yeah. <laughs> you pointed that out. I didn't oh, hear Oh, the no, movie. they said, no, it wasn't. Yeah, there's apparently somebody who says that, which if you haven't watched this, go back and watch and to let us know if Jamie imagined that or not. But my next note was the same thing. Why did Iron Man desuit? I don't get it, because that's his only protection. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. It, it's It was just a way so that Scarlet Witch could get into his head or we could get some emoting out of Robert Downey Jr. But there's just so many little moments in here where you're left scratching your head. Like, why did that happen? But, but like, he... he often in the movies that he's in and stuff like that as Iron Man, he'll just uh, like press something on his face and then his whole face will open up. Yeah. Like, why not just do that? Yeah, there's other ways to do it. I don't know. But uh, he sees this big slug ship here, so he realized Strucker has obviously taken some of this alien technology. Um, I don't even know what I wrote here. Everyone's dead on a steroid. Oh, yeah, hold that's, on. That's the, the asteroid vision. That's a hallucination or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll wrap it up uh, right here, but basically where Tony gets mind control by Scarlet Witch, uh, he starts having this terrible nightmare vision uh, of all of them dead on this asteroid. I wrote it here. I'm trying to read it because it's handwritten notes here. I'm like, everybody dead on a steroid. And I'm like, a steroid? <laughs> but that's on the asteroid. So anyways, this is his big vision. And all of a sudden it cuts to Avengers Age of Ultron, the titles... We'll kind of wrap it up there if there's anything you want to add or what did you think of this opening action sequence what worked what didn't um i think that i was just a little bit confused um but again i mean th- that might be because i didn't i already didn't remember the first movie <laughs> but um i had written down too as well i said what was that hallucination tony saw um because honestly like i saw it and i'm just like what is this about and i f- completely forgot that scarlet witch had those powers so it didn't really make sense mm-hmm. to me at this point well and the nightmare hallucinations are going to come up later on obviously yeah it's a weird way to end your pre-title scene um i remember hearing joss whedon explain that the reason he wanted to start the movie like this was because he wanted to see one moment in this movie of the whole team working together as a team like a big heroic moment of the Avengers, almost that this movie would open the way the last one ended. They're all a team. They're all working together. It's a big mission. And in ways, I think that idea works. It's just the execution here is not great. Even though some of the action is okay, it's just the effects don't help it. The brief appearance of a villain that you don't care about doesn't help. Um, the odd things like Tony coming out of the suit and you know this, this hallucination, I, I don't think any of it really works. So... It's not the worst part of the movie, though. Speaking about effects, like, and this obviously is after the title scene. Speaking about effects, it's not exactly effects, but I put a note here. And it's, I don't know, it didn't bother me for the majority of the second half, but right after the title scene here, when you see Thor, I had written down here, his wig is so yeah. bad. <laughs> it is so bad. It literally looks like... A cheap wig that you would buy at some discount store. Yeah. Like, seriously. Well, you know what Did it is? Did they buy this it's... on eBay? And again, it's funny how if you... If I had seen this the first time, I wouldn't have picked up on that. But knowing that I didn't like this movie, it's not like I was going out of my way to see, oh, let me count the things I don't like about this movie. But certain things become more obvious to you when you watch it a second time. 
Uh, and you can now see, oh, this kind of bothers me. That must be why. And you don't have to, you're not waiting so much to see what happens next. You're like, I know what happens next. Why doesn't the scene work? Let me figure out what doesn't work about this. Mm-hmm. And the wig he had in the first two movies, it's messy hair. And, well, the first three movies, if you count the Avengers as well. He has a, like a messy hair wig. Here, it's like perfectly straight. It's perfectly groomed. You complained in the first movie. It's like he stands outside in an airplane and like naturally his hair would be choking, like down his throat choking. He's like, <coughs> like hairball. And here it's, it's because not only does it not look messy, it's just perfectly straight and perfectly combed and groomed all the time. And I think that's what makes it look so fake. It's like they grabbed a wig from like Lord of the Rings, one of the elves. It's like, yeah. Slapped it on his head. Clench up leg loss. Uh, <laughs> you're sharing wigs with Chris Hemsworth today. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I will agree with you. The wig does not look great here. Uh, I, I, let's move on here as we get into the rest of the movie. Now, Hawkeye was obviously injured in the opening battle. I like that um, they had things... What are you writing here? Did you talk about Stan Lee? Or is that... Well, I'll talk about when he comes later? up, maybe. Oh, is that uh, a lot later? Yes. Oops, sorry. This is what, that's good. Ask questions. Don't just assume we're talking I'm about I'm trying to later. point on the paper. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> um, but... Uh, they're on the flight back, so Hawkeye's injured, which I kind of like that we we see sometimes the team aspect is, oh, we got to get Hawkeye out. Now, what did make sense is, again, they're raiding this castle uh, to get Loki's scepter. Like, if there's one thing that's going to bring the Avengers together again, it's like, we need to get Loki's scepter back. Another question I have about this opening act, I didn't even think about this till now, Hawkeye gets taken out. We know he's expendable. They're all technically expendable. I mean, this is special forces military. One guy goes down. I mean, I know, I understand there's the thing, you know, leave no man behind, but that's... Yeah, teamwork. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you sacrifice a mission to leave no man behind. And Thor, who has, I believe it was Thor in this, who had the most invested interest in getting Loki's scepters, like, Tony, you go after the scepter. I'm going to get Clint back to the ship. <laughs> like, this is his brother. It's his scepter. It's his fault it's out there. And he's like, Tony, take that. I could blame it on the whole cramming, you know, Tony Stark down your throat in this movie, which they definitely, I didn't realize they did it just as much in this as they did the first one. But it just logically makes no sense. Thor should be the one, even if you just have him follow him to the castle, Tony can still find everything. Have Captain America carry him back. Have the Hulk carry him back. Like, have anybody carry him back. Uh, But... It, well, Tony would probably be able to carry him. Tony back would really, have done it a lot easier, really quickly in his suit. Yeah, too. but let's just assume they still say, "Well, we need Tony Stark to be the hero in every scene." It's Thor's brother's scepter. It's Thor's responsibility. He's the one most qualified to go in there and take everybody out. He's he's basically I'm not going to say he's immortal, but he's a god on Earth. I'm going to carry Clint back to the ship, Tony. You go save the day. So stupid. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense at all. So Hawkeye's on a stretcher, uh, and I like that we can see these Avengers getting hurt every once in a while, uh, but uh, as they're on the flight back, uh, they end up landing at the Avengers Tower here, which now we see that A is still there, but they've just rebranded it uh, for Avengers Tower here. Uh, we have the the scene, as I said, as Maria Hill comes in, which we didn't even talk about Maria Hill in the first one. Um, you probably have no knowledge of who I'm talking about, do you? I have no idea. She's the one who was like... Nick Fury's second in command. Oh, I remember the lady now. Yeah. And the actress, Kobe Smulders, she's Canadian, uh, which 
she was on a TV show called How I Met Your Mother, which you probably don't know. Nope. And I did think it was weird when they cast her to play Maria Hill, who's not like a huge action star, but she is kind of the leader, I guess, um, the human type, like a Nick Fury type character who leads the Avengers or whatever, even in the comics. Uh, and when they cast like a comedian to play her, I thought that was kind of weird. But uh, you've probably seen recently, uh, and this is just a shout out to her being Canadian, on How I Met Your Mother they made a point to make her character Canadian as well, just because the actress was Canadian. But she's recently appeared in these ads which play all over Canadian movie theaters, uh, which is basically her celebrating herself being Canadian. Do you remember we saw this, um, it was you know, probably even a couple of months back, where she has like this shack in her backyard. It's like a wood, little wood shed. And she goes out there and she's watching hockey while making poutine in her own <laughs> shed. I have no idea, but that, sounds, just, but that sounds really entertaining. It's it's hilarious, yeah. So, I don't know. I was never... I didn't think she was the best thing about How I Met Your Mother or whatever. I wasn't really a huge fan of her in The Avengers, but I'm warming up to her just because of her embracing her uh, Canadian side here. But uh, she has that line where she starts talking to Tony, and he's like, oh, no, he's the boss. And I, you know how much I love, just because I'm such a huge fan of Captain America, you know how much I loved him taking the lead and being the hero in the first movie, because that's his role. He is the leader. Mm-hmm. So to have Tony acknowledge it here was cool for me. But then we get one of those good lines where it's like, I just designed everything, pay for it, make anyone else look cool. Uh, so, oh, oh, that's why you said that at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So they start describing. Now, one thing this movie, I think, I'm not going to say it does well, but some of this, a welcome improvement, especially after coming off of the first Avengers, where our first hour and change, hour and change, is basically about... All these characters introducing themselves to each other and no story whatsoever. They jump into the story right away and it's immediately an investigation. I didn't really appreciate this enough the first time I saw it, but I like that they just get into investigation mode. They're like, who are these twins? And I can't remember who has the the line saying, he's fast, she's weird, which is a perfect explanation for Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to remember who said that now. Yeah, Uh, but this is all this investigation. We get the Tony and Banner bromance science moment where they're all going over the the anatomy of the brains and they're showing the difference between Jarvis's artificial intelligence brain and this Ultron. So they've obviously stealing some stealing. They've stolen some intelligence from Strucker's castle, completely meaningless villain they wasted in this movie. And they're seeing, well, we can make a brain and they start talking about Ultron. Now this almost feels like just bad exposition here. Like none of the, we have we heard before, uh, there's ways they're going to make this work later on. But they just jump right into the the whole Ultron thing. And I, I found it just weird hearing these characters refer to Ultron right away. Uh, and they go into their big cheesy montage where it's just them doing science stuff. And again, I feel like both these movies have way too much of this Tony and Bruce science bromance stuff. Uh, but through all this, they, they, we found out they're going to have a party or whatever. And uh, obviously they're leaving for this party, and this is kind of where Ultron's born. You're just sort of hearing Ultron here, and it's James Spader's voice, which he was cast very late in the movie. I would have liked it if they could have had, like, James Spader doing the motion capture that's, for this. That's the guy that was in that show that you liked, right? Yeah, The Practice, Boston Legal, no, no, The no. Blacklist. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. but I'm going to say this now. The Blacklist doesn't even compare to Boston Legal and Practice. Yeah, I know. You told me about it before. D- this is completely side note, but just to show how big of a fan, and this is one of the reasons why I think I was really excited to have Ultron in this, he was cast very late as the voice of Ultron. Like it was probably just a few months before the movie came out, like maybe a few months before the trailer debuted. And 
uh, James Spader, there was a TV show, The Practice, in the 90s, which is my favorite legal show of all time, maybe my favorite show of the whole 90s. It was the greatest legal show of all time. And they basically let go of all their actors in the last season, except for a handful of them, including their main stars, and they brought James Spader in as a replacement. And hands down, James Spader, on both The Practice, which then spun off into his own show with Boston Legal, greatest TV character of all time. And maybe the greatest dramatic actor we ever had on TV, where it was actually almost more comic than anything else, but just amazing. Uh, so James Spader since then does anything, and I love it. So I love that he's Ultron here, and his voice really does lend itself well to this. I would have liked it if he had maybe played a little less like James Spader. I mean, he just sounds like James Spader here, so if he had brought a little bit more character to it, which if they had more time with him, maybe they could have done. But you have him like, what is this place? Uh, which I have a bit of an issue with later on, that he's sort of just coming to this realization of who he is, and you see him scanning through all the pictures and all that. Uh, he's in a conversation with Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis is already artificial intelligence, so I don't know why Tony and Banner are like, we could create artificial intelligence. Like my butler that's been in this franchise for seven years. You know who Jarvis is, right? Yeah. Yeah, his his artificial intelligence butler. <laughs> So Tony's had AI for seven years at least already, but uh, this is a big deal. And um, this is just sort of the birth of Ultron thing. Uh, he basically says he needs to build himself a body. Then we go to the really boring party. Now, I'm, I, I already know without even asking you that you probably were referring to these sequences as the funny stuff that you liked. Am I right? Mm, there, no, there, there wasn't... Uh... There wasn't a whole lot of funny stuff here. Okay, good. Uh, before we move on to that, do you have anything you want to talk about of the whole creation of Ultron and all that? No, I think you pretty much said everything that I was thinking of to say. So. All right, so here's where I'm going to get to so, a lot of my so, complaints. So where where's Stanley popping up? Stanley pops up in this next scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's your next note. You've already forgot. See, you've already forgotten this. You watched this less than 24 hours ago. I told you. Uh, so first of all, I don't know why we need to see the Avengers having a party. <laughs> It just doesn't work. Because um, they're regular people. They're not regular people, though. This whole party is going out of the way to show us they're not regular people. And I just, I don't like the idea that they just hang out. And then they invite people like War Machine there. Like, I like Don Cheadle, but I don't care if War Machine's hanging out with them, you know, telling his stories and cracking jokes. I did find it, like, really funny where, uh, who I think it was the, was it Maria Hill or was it the the doctor Who's like, where are the ladies? You know, referring to Natalie Portman and Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know. Like, they spend a good minute and a half here talking about Natalie Portman and Gwyneth Paltrow. And we have this really, really terrible scene between Tony and Thor going back and forth, arguing over whose girlfriend is better. Gwyneth Paltrow, Natalie Portman, or the Jane or Pepper. Jane or Pepper. But this is basically like... Every fanboy going back and forth to saying, who's worse in this franchise, Natalie Portman or Gwyneth Paltrow? And they're just debating back and forth. And I'm like, I don't care. Maybe this is just me absolutely hating both actresses. But it, why did we need that scene in there? And why did we need it to be like 10 minutes long? You know, a funny line that was actually earlier in the movie that I missed, I forgot to write it down, was uh, with that uh, Asian um, scientist lady, um who worked with, I think, Stony Tark. Uh, Stony, t- Stony Tark. <laughs> Stony Tark, yeah. Um, and when they were talking about actually, like, going to the party, she's like, yeah, you guys have, like, all this free time. Not everybody could afford to do that or whatever. And then you just see her and she's like, will Thor be there? 
Yeah. It was so great. She obviously has this thing for Thor. I thought that was so dumb and awkward. I liked it. No, I just... I feel like you have to take these movies seriously, and I don't like that these characters are so goofy with each other that... I don't know. There's just... I I really wish... Maybe by the end of this I'll pinpoint, but I really hate all this stuff back and forth of the characters, you know, joking around and being all buddy-buddy together. Because, like, in the comics, you didn't have scenes like that. Like, people who are... You know, high on praising the the Marvel movies or whatever, like they do a good job often portraying the comic feel. But so many of these movies are nothing like the comic books. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is the best example where the movies have almost the characters are there, but the tone of the movies have nothing in common. And I feel like these scenes, like we would never see a scene of the Avengers all joking about whose girlfriend is better, and then oh, is Thor going to be there? Like I hate this stuff. I absolutely hate it. What's next? Stanley's cameo. Um, you want to uh, talk about it here? Uh, well, well, the setup is that they have all these vet- now. Why this private party? And they've got all these old war veterans there. And somebody made a joke about you know, oh, this or whatever wasn't a picnic. And then you know, something. Neither was Omaha Beach, right? And this is Thor sharing his drinks or whatever. And uh, Stanley basically like dumbest Stanley cameo ever, where he basically just gets loaded with one sip of something, and then he's carried out of slurring his words and he uses the word do you remember his word no excelsior which that's a word i think stanley probably made it up i don't know if he did or not but that's sort of that's always been since like the 60s when he would do his editor's uh commentary thing at the end of comics where he would do like the editor's piece talking about what's going on he'd always end it with that word so that's like the stanley word excelsior it's kind of a cool nod to the fans, but I don't care about this cameo at all. I forgot this was his cameo until I saw it. I actually forgot what the cameo was until you There you go. It. No, but I did put Stan Lee. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I thought it was great. I and mean, we got to pinpoint all the Stan Lee cameos. But that is really funny. Like, I forgot. I could probably tell you the Stan Lee cameo in every, almost every single one of these movies. Uh, but th- this one here, like, I forgot until I saw it. You, for- you saw it last night and you forgot it. Now, the next scene, you again... Well, you hold can- on. Before we move on to that... How many Stan Lee cameos can you name? Think about it off the top of your head. This is like any Marvel movie. How many Stan Lee cameos can you think of off the top of your head right now that you remember? I don't know. Do you know the the first one there ever was? Mm. It was, I think, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which was like uh, a TV movie version after the TV show had ended, the Lou Ferrigno one. And he was like a guy in a jury box. And they kind of just always had him there. You know, he had the cameo. I think it was on the beach in the first X-Men movie. Um, I don't know. Do you have a favorite Stanley cameo? Can you think of any? Um, there there was one that was my favorite and, and was really funny, but I can't remember what it was. Well, I'm going to say the Marvel movies, I don't know if I remember the Stanley cameos as well as I do the ones that are made by other studios. Because I think the two best would be um, the, the one from... Amazing Spider-Man, where uh, Lizard and Spider-Man are fighting through the library, and Stan Lee's listening to this symphony music on the headphones and pretending to conduct, and he has no idea that the library is being destroyed behind him. Remember that? What was the one for Fantastic Four? Well, the, I don't I, remember I, the first Fantastic Four. I think Four, that's but, the one I'm thinking of. Well, I don't remember the first... Oh, no, wait. The first Fantastic Four, yeah. See, the Fantastic Four movies, they, they uh, those movies aren't great, but they're I like them a lot better than, you know, Age of Ultron. But the first Fantastic Four movie, he played Hugh Hefner, or uh, I think it was like a version of Hugh Hefner when they were at a party or something like that, and he was dressed as Hugh Hefner. The second one was the one I remember the best, though, uh, where 
he actually had a speaking role because they're coming into their building and he's the mailman. And in the comics, the mailman, his name was Willie. He was like a major character in Fantastic Four. They'd come, they'd talk to the mailman. Oh, hey, how's it going? It's like, hey, I got a letter here for you. And Stanley had like a couple of lines going back and forth playing the mailman in Fantastic Four Rise of Silver Surfer. So I th- I think that's, that's the one, one I remember the best. I think that's the one I'm thinking of because I like Silver Surfer. I like that one. Yeah, and that movie, again, is... It's not a great movie, but it's underrated. It is okay for what it is. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. This is my least favorite one. We just came off of the first one where it was just a brief thing like, superheroes in New York? Give me a break. But this one was just stupid. Uh, So we have a bit of a love story here. Yeah, and on that, because you told me again, write it down, because I tried to ask you. I'm like, why is she behind the bar? Uh, See, yeah, not about the love story, but you asked, why is she behind the bar? So... It does look very awkward in the movie. They're all at a party, and she's behind the bar making drinks. Now, the one argument would be, well, somebody has to be behind the bar. You know, you think maybe it would be Captain America, the designated driver, or something like that. But there is a reason, and the reason is also for... Let's get into it now, because it's going to come up later on. Uh, I'll have more things to say on this, but one of the biggest criticisms people had for this movie, and one of the reasons Joss Whedon walked away, was because people started throwing all this trash at him about... Uh, this movie was chauvinistic, that they sidelined the Black Widow with a typical, you know, damsel in distress role and stuff like that. And they pinpointed things like her just being put into a, a cheap love story and uh, her only real role in the movie being that she was the one who talked down the Hulk and that it wasn't a strong female role or whatever. Uh, but the reason for all that, which I'll explain every single time one of these scenes comes up, the reason for it, was that Scarlett Johansson was pregnant when she made this movie. So there was only so much they could do with her in the action. You have to find a role for her that's relevant and not show the fact that she's like six months pregnant when she made this movie. You know, she had a stunt double for some scenes, but that was a widely known fact that she was very pregnant filming this movie. I wish you would have told me that. Well, but then we'd have nothing to talk about in the episode. No, I know, but I would have looked So why is she behind the bar? Because she's pregnant. You've got to hide the fact she's pregnant. Like, but I'm sure there are people out there who's like, well, they just put her behind a bar in the movie to hide the fact she was pregnant. There's only so much you can do with a pregnant woman on the set of a Marvel movie. Yeah. No, I hear you. But I, the, the next uh, um, note that I have here is about the love scene that you're talking yeah. about. I, I put uh, Black Widow's gotta have it. Guess she doesn't like Hawkeye anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the Hawkeye thing is kind of, I don't know if they ever really explained it, but they just drop it. But. Which is hilarious because, I mean, you probably mentioned this later in the episode, but it's it's another note of mine. Uh, I just want to mention it because it ties into this. I thought, like, later on in the movie, when they show Hawkeye with, you know, married with kids, and it's not like his kids are, like, one or two years old or whatever. Like, he has, like, kids that are pretty much yeah. almost teens. Well, and, and, they may be, like, seven or eight. Well, okay, anyways, you know what I mean? Like, they could honestly be ten or whatever. That's okay. what I was thinking. Preteen. But um, I was just thinking to myself, like, this is just super weird because, like, in the first movie, they showed, like, they were teasing that they were really interested in each other and chemistry and flirting and all this. And now it's just like, this guy has a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. But that's it, part it's, of... It's, it's like they, they thought they were going to go somewhere with it and then they just changed their mind completely. Well, a lot of that had to do with Jeremy Renner's dissatisfaction with the first movie. And they even make a joke about that. And I'll, I won't mention right away but i'll see if you can pick up on the joke they made about jeremy renner not caring for what they did with him in the first movie i can understand why they would just change these things all of a sudden and again it feels awkward because it almost feels like they are just throwing this stuff in there 
But as far as this love story goes with Bruce Banner and uh, Black Widow, I don't think I'm as down on it as most people are. It's funny that the thing that the people who praise this movie complain about so much that I didn't mind. I mean, there's a lot of things that people like in this movie. I'm like, this is garbage. The things that people hate in this movie, I should agree with them. I don't mind the fact that there's this love story here. I think that they handle it fairly well for the most part, and I think it's almost necessary in the movie. And I'll tell you why one of the reasons that this actually works. If people are going to complain, oh, there's just the only woman in the movie, they're going to put her in a love story. First of all, she's been in three other movies before this. Now, when she was in Iron Man 2, they did not do a love story between her and Tony Stark. When she was in The Avengers, they did not do a love story between her and Hawkeye. They kind of alluded to maybe some history, but they didn't do that. When she was in Winter Soldier, they did not do a love story between her and Captain America. She has been in three movies so far and had no love story whatsoever. The reason I feel like this works is because they are throwing her in there with a love story with a guy we haven't seen in three years. And you honestly get the impression that maybe this has been building. But this isn't her role. I mean, her role is that she is not in a relationship with guys normally. This is an unusual thing. And the fact that it's a Hulk, I think, is important for the Hulk's character. You need this because who's there to calm the Hulk down? Betty Ross, usually. Betty's not in these movies. They don't have Liv Tyler. Uh, so you need somebody to be there to calm the Hulk. And if you're going to have a love story, do we want it to be with some random doctor that nobody cares about? Or do we want it to be with a major character? who needed to hide the fact she was pregnant and has already clearly been established as having not had a relationship with Tony Stark, Hawkeye, or Captain America. Like, you go through all... The only one that they have not even had her in a movie with was Thor. So I don't think it's a big deal that they did this at all. I didn't mind it. Well, and the other thing is, is and this is later on, but it's probably not something we'd mention, but anyways, except for, you know, it makes sense to mention now, it makes sense for both these characters to be together because later on when they do go to Hawkeye's house and they see his family and everything like that there is this moment between Hulk and Black Widow where it's just he's like you know I could never give this to you basically like you know I could never have like a family and all this other stuff and she's like you know what I couldn't even if I wanted to because you know with I guess their training and stuff like that for where she comes from, they sterilize her, meaning like she she can't have kids. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, they do a decent so, job so with both may, these it characters. Ma- it makes sense that they would fit together that way. Well, there's complexity there because they're both saying, "Hey, this could never work for me," and they're and the other one's like, "Well, it could never work for me either." Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not like them just saying, "Hey, let's just have fun." It's it's almost like, "Hey, you're the only person who's going to get me." Mm-hmm. So they do a decent job with this love story, and here I am praising a movie that I'm like, "It's a terrible movie." The one thing that people complain about, if if people would just stop trying to be so, you know, um, trendy with their political correctness, they could actually sit there and realize that there's nothing wrong with this movie and that their complaints are completely irrelevant because they're not just making her this woman who she's a woman in the movie. So she has to be in a love story because she's been in three prior to this without that. And the other complaints about, well, this is the only thing she gets to do in the movie did you want to just watch a stunt woman for two hours or did you want Scarlett Johansson to be in this movie and do something? She's not going to do that six months pregnant. Mm -hmm. So just dumb complaints. But another one of my least favorite scenes, and I'm starting to pinpoint it now. It's, it's almost the, and I understand this is the way people would be in regular everyday life, but it's the immaturity of these superheroes. And the reason I don't like this when they have the whole, I could pick up the hammer and they all take their turns. 
I hate that. I absolutely hate it. You completely missed the other part that I was just talking about. Which one? The part where they're fighting or whatever, and he and the um, Bruce gets pulled by Natasha behind the bar um, during the attack. His face... Okay, well, hold on a second. Does the attack happen before or after they're all trying to pick up the hammer? Oh, oops. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, there that you go. Out. Anyways, I thought it was hilarious. Well, let this, wait, when we get there, when no, we no, get no, there... No, it's about what you're talking about. I thought it was hilarious how um, Thor looked really worried, especially when Captain America was trying to lift it. Yeah. Specifically. That yeah, That was exactly. pretty funny. But I, I don't know. I hate it. And the reason... I said earlier, it's not something you see in the comics... Uh, I think that's kind of true. Maybe there is stuff like this every once in a while, but the reason I hate this has more to do with the tone they've set in these movies. Why is it that outside of Tony Stark, we see him do stupid stuff like this all the time. These characters, when they are the superheroes, they take it very seriously. Thor is a humorless character for the most part. The jokes there are about him are kind of a fish out of water. In his mind, he's serious, and everybody else is like, you know, would this guy from like come like the 12th century or something like that? Captain America, very serious. War Machine, I hate, I absolutely despise that they make War Machine with these stupid jokes in this movie about, and I told him as I put the tank down, oh, that joke killed if it was anybody other than the Avengers. But lifting up the hammer, it's just, it's like teenage hijinks. And whether or not superheroes really do this in real life, we don't see the movies. We don't see Captain America in The Winter Soldier hanging out with Black Widow and the Falcon making stupid jokes like this or acting immature in any way you know it's just it doesn't fit the other movies i feel and it's this felt like a deleted scene to me like there's no point when you go through deleted scenes like we watched the last jedi and they have deleted scenes on there and there's the deleted scene which started pretty good and then ends with ray storming into this thing and seeing the fish nuns having you know a little mating party with the male fish nuns or whatever and it's just like, wow, that was clearly always going to be a deleted scene because it's so stupid. This felt like, whether people like it or not, this feels like a deleted scene. Like, there was no point to it being in the movie. But through this party, everybody's trying to pick it up or whatever. Uh, and all of a sudden, the, the robot army comes in here. So Ultron has taken over all of Iron Man's billion robots, which got out of control in Iron Man 3. So I'm kind of glad that they did away with that here. Uh, and we basically get the fight. So we get... Ultron kind of revealing himself here. He mentions that he killed the other guy, which is Jarvis, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we have this battle scene in a bar. Uh, the line's very important where he was hearing in his head, Tony Stark saying, we need to have peace in our time. And you realize, well, Ultron has a motive here that he thinks this is the way to achieve peace. Uh, we just get everybody fighting robots here. The hammer smash with Thor throws the hammer you wonder why if this is so easy why he didn't do this take Loki's scepter back maybe uh, and we get like that Ultron line about there's no strings on me which was a major thing in the trailers this kind of Pinocchio thing uh, I'll finish it off there um, I don't think there's anything particularly memorable at this fight I hate the whole party scene the introduction of Ultron I feel like would have been more effective later in the movie uh, when you could have dwelled on it a little bit and had the characters respond. Here, all we get is most of the characters have no idea who this is. They're just like, well, it's a robot. You don't get the severity of this artificial intelligence because A, we've seen artificial intelligence already with Jarvis. And B, the only reaction we get from anybody is Tony and Bruce sort of looking at each other saying, Ultron. And that's it. 
So I don't think th- there are much better ways to do this. Save him for a little later in the movie. Have a slow reveal with Ultron. Don't have him crashing their party. Well, I, I did put a note here that I thought um, specifically he looked just so cool um, when they yeah. first showed him in this scene. Like he, oh yeah, like compared to the start of the movie where, like I said, the effects were so bad. Like this was amazing. He looked so cool. Mm-hmm. And then I also put a note. I actually didn't even realize it was the, the the guy that you're talking about, but I put I put his voice is so hot. James Spader. <laughs> yeah. James Spader is another one of those guys where it's like, in no way is James Spader a handsome man, but like women love him for some reason. Well, Maybe his, it's his voice, voice is pretty sexy. Yeah. Well, uh, it's funny you mentioned about Ultron, um, the look of him here. Now the look changes throughout the movie. Here he's just sort of taken over one of these iron soldier things that uh, Iron Man has. But in the comics, I, uh, Ultron had a much different look than the movie. Now, it's just this jack-o'-lantern face he had that people really identify with. And I think that it's at this early part in the movie, before Thor's hammer smashes him, where we get the classic look a little bit closer. Uh, I'm trying to bring up... Sorry, we're recording this late at night. I'm trying to bring up a picture here. You can see here, like, the original creation of Ultron. Now, it's just this stiff mouth, and... I heard multiple people complaining that they didn't like that Ultron's mouth moved in this movie, and I will agree with that, but uh, if you look at the original design of Ultron, A, the blue, I think, would have helped this movie so it wasn't just this this tinted gray, uh, but also that jack-o'-lantern face he had, I think, was so iconic that I liked that he had that look in this scene here, and I wish they kept it as his body evolved later in the movie. Mm. Well, and then the next scene here, while they're... Uh being attacked uh, i was mentioning earlier sorry getting ahead of myself because i i thought that i read the note first was um when bruce gets pulled by natasha behind the bar during the attack his face gets buried in her boobs yeah and then he says oh sorry and she says don't turn green don't turn green and he says i won't it was very funny i love the way you said sorry there it was like so can sorry 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 oh sorry about that and then i had a note too as well that scarlet witch is my favorite yeah, well, she's not in the, this part of the movie, but, it's, no, but this she, movie's made such an impact that you're still remembering one character the, we've the seen no, for 30 seconds. The note seconds. for Scarlet Witch is right after Ultron looks so cool. Okay, so... And, and this thing for Wakanda is... Oh, but that's not coming yet! Oh. It's not coming yet. I was going to ask you about that, because I'm like, you've, yeah, well, you've, yeah, you've yeah, watched yeah, yeah. the Captain America movies, Yeah, so. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, So, we get the scene next of all the characters responding now to Ultron, which... Here's some of the good dialogue. Now, it's nowhere near as good as the dialogue of when everybody was fighting right before the uh, attack and Loki's escape from the helicarrier in the first movie. Like, that dialogue was incredible. This is probably the best dialogue we get in the movie. Uh, there's a lot of talk here about, um, you know, we're supposed to be different from S.H.I.E.L.D. And this is something that I was surprised that I liked in this movie because I didn't really care for anything to do with this story. But... There was almost like a vision that that Joss Whedon probably had for a story he wanted to tell here. The evolution that we're going to get much more when we get to, well, it's coming off of Winter Soldier and we're going to get with uh, Civil War. The idea that these superheroes, maybe the idea isn't all that good or maybe there needs to be something more to it. That that becomes the whole division in Civil War later on. And it kind of starts here. I guess it started in Winter Soldier, them being odds with S.H.I.E.L.D., but I like that they had that mention here about we're supposed to be different from S.H.I.E.L.D. because Tony's trying to say, you know how we end this war? We'll create this artificial intelligence. We'll use Loki's scepter to create something great. It's like, well, is that any different than what 
Loki was trying to do by creating this portal or whatever to bring the Chitauri in. So this dilemma, I, I feel like they could have gone much further with in this movie because it's a very interesting idea that I wish they'd done more with here. This evolution that would have made Civil War have even more impact. Uh, even though Civil War is a good movie, it would have had, had more impact if they had really played on this more in the movie. But we get this really awkward thing where they realize Jarvis is dead and Tony mourns for what's essentially Siri. Like, let's be honest. Hey, Jarvis, can you recommend a good restaurant on Main Street? <laughs> like, and like, he's like Alexis or whatever, like those things. Yeah, yeah, Siri or whatever, or Alexa or Alexa. Yeah, he's mourning a voice of Paul Bettany. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. It's just it's it's weird. I don't think anybody was really. Oh, Jarvis is gone. Hmm. How is this franchise going to continue? There's no Jarvis. Do you care about Jarvis? No. You want to hear a funny story about Paul Bettany, who we're going to see come up later on? Mm-hmm. He did the voice of Jarvis in the first Iron Man movie. And uh, it was in between the Iron Man movies, like a year after Iron Man came out. Somebody asked him when he was promoting a different movie about uh, being in the Marvel movies. And they said, oh, you know, what did you think about being in the, the Marvel movies? And then he's like, I haven't been in a Marvel movie. And they're like, oh, weren't you in Iron Man? He goes, no, I wasn't in Iron Man. I was like, didn't you do the voice in Iron Man? And he was like repeatedly like, no. And then it literally it occurred to him later on. I was like, wait a second. I did the voice of the butler in Iron Man. Like Paul Bettany had no recollection of even doing this movie. It was probably something that would have brought him in originally for like, I don't know, a half a day of recording. And he probably never saw the movie, which is why it's funny they do bring him in later on here because, I mean, who doesn't love Paul Bettany? But uh, I just thought this was So... We could mourn Paul Bettany, but he's going to be back. Um, the uh, the stuff that follows after this here uh, with all the heroes talking is we get Ultron and the twins. So now you have your henchmen, which this could have been Baron Strucker. Uh, it could have been any. We could have had Baron Zemo, who's going to be coming up later on. But no, Ultron's just surrounding himself with the twins, which I guess, yeah, Scarlet, which like you said, was great in this movie. Uh, I... Did not like this movie, but there were two things I came to this movie saying I really liked, which was Scarlet Witch and Vision. And coincidentally, when we get to Civil War, I believe the worst things about that movie were Scarlet Witch and Vision. But here, Scarlet Witch, great. Quicksilver, come on. <laughs> way better in X-Men. Not only way better in X-Men, he had a character. Here, he's just a guy that runs... Like, even his powers, they don't showcase it the way they could have. Like, no. It's so brilliant the way Brian Singer used that... I can mention the scene... You know, the the escape from uh, the Magneto's prison scene that they had, or the Pentagon, I think it was, where he's running around the room and redirecting knives and stuff like that, and you had the fire sprinklers going off. And then, of course, they did that again in Apocalypse. That's amazing. Here, he's just a guy that runs fast and has no personality whatsoever. Yeah. His look looks stupid. Like, he, he does not look cool at all. Scarlet Witch looks cool. Quicksilver looks like a really scrawny douche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the most part, uh, I don't really care. But the idea that Ultron needs these twins, I don't understand that either. Maybe because they have powers or whatever. But does the movie really properly explain why Ultron needs them? No, not really. I I don't know. Ultron shouldn't need anything. Ultron talks in this scene about Tony Stark's next move is going to be this. I know Tony Stark and Tony Stark's going to do this. I'm going to go back to that opening scene where Ultron was like, where what is this place he's only now learning things from that point on so how does he have all this knowledge of tony stark when his only interaction with him has been through 
what he sees through security feeds, what he's taken from Jarvis. There's no reason he should be able to predict his next move or know him on a personal level. Uh, but still, he Ultron pairs up with the, the twins here. Uh, I do like that the twins... Now, this is something I really wish they'd had more of. Did you catch why the twins are, I guess, kind of evil in this movie? Why do they have the vendetta against the Avengers? Yeah, because when everything had happened where their city was getting destroyed, there was that uh, Stark bomb that mm-hmm. had went into their house and they didn't know if it was actually going to be going off. Yeah, and what I'll always go back to is why the Iron Man 1 movie was so good was because... It really played on the whole war profiteer thing with Tony Stark. Like, this is a guy who basically went through a midlife crisis where he's like, I made these weapons that have cost people lives, and maybe I did it all legally. They even talk about in this movie about him doing things legally when he, they, they mention later on when, before they go to Africa. Don't worry, I did it all legally. But he there are these consequences to him building these weapons. He was a war profiteer or whatever. And... The idea that that's coming back here, again, something that was such an interesting idea where when I was rewatching this, like, maybe I misjudged this movie. There's some smart things going on here. They, they made some right decisions, and then they just never really do anything with it. I would have really liked to have Tony's plot not be about, I need to create artificial intelligence to end this war, but B, you know what? I'm still haunted by these things. Why can't I get away from the things I did before I was Iron Man? Yeah. Because that first Iron Man movie was so good the way it was about this guy having this dilemma and this midlife crisis. Uh, but they just they don't go anywhere with it in this movie. Uh, the fight scene comes up after this, so... Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. This this was so great. Why didn't you note this part? When Is it the... about Wakanda? Because I'm getting to it. No, when... That actually was first. This part is second, so maybe I'm ahead. Okay, well, hold off for a second. Okay. Uh, show me what you point to your notes. Right here. Uh, no, that's still to come. Oh. Okay. <laughs> this is the way it's going to be, people. Uh, so we got the fight scene coming up, but before we get to that, we have to get the Avengers there, which here's something I did not catch at all. Now, you mentioned it. The Wakanda, right? Yeah. I don't remember this when it first came out. Um, now, I had some knowledge of Black Panther. Yeah, because it says Wakanda is where Captain America's shield metal comes from. That's the question. That yeah. Is. Now, I had some knowledge of Black Panther before this came out, but not enough to really recognize if they dropped the word. They don't even drop a Wakanda. It's like, Wakanada? Like, I like the way that <laughs> Ruffalo is saying that. But now, everybody's going to go back and watch this movie. It's like, they mentioned it all the way back here. Here's another thing I didn't remember. I'm a huge Andy Serkis fan, not just because of the stuff he did like Lord of the Rings and Tintin and uh, King Kong or um, Planet, of the Apes. Planet of the Apes especially, right? But I even like the live action stuff he's done. Like I think he's hilarious in 13 Going on 30 with Mark Ruffalo, by the way. It's a great movie. Uh, and The Prestige with Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. thought he was great in that. So even just in live action movies, I'm a huge fan of Andy Serkis. I knew Andy Serkis was in Black Panther. Ben and I talked about that. That was his favorite character in... The Black Panther movie was Ulysses Claw. Andy Serkis is in this movie three years before Black Panther came out. I completely forgot about this. Not only does Wakanda mention, but they talk about this guy. Did you even recognize that was Andy Serkis here? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I knew that. I didn't remember him being in this movie. Yeah, I knew that. But such a great villain, and he's a little bit more serious in this one. I'm not going to say more serious, but less quirky here in Age of Ultron. But that, I was like, wow. Again, did I misjudge this movie? Andy Serkis has a major role. No, he's wasted like Von Strucker here. But yeah, they, they mentioned about this guy in Africa, you know, who would get the stuff out. Now, Vibranium, um, 
if you'd seen all of Civil War, which I'm sure we'll finish watching uh, soon, but uh, you would you would know they they tie into Wakanda quite a bit in the Civil War movie as well, which is how they bring Black Panther in. But the idea is that vibranium comes out of Wakanda, and they mention uh, about I thought that your dad, like Tony Stark's dad, got the last of that stuff out of there, which goes back to the first Avenger when they present the vibranium shield, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is basically all we have of this stuff. Uh, but the idea in the Black Panther is that Wakanda is filled with this stuff. They make everything out of vibranium. So kind of like this idea here that it, they're bringing vibranium into this movie. You know, Ultron's going to try to use this. And they planted the seed of Ulysses Claw here, who was going to appear later on in Black Panther. Completely forgot that that was going to happen. Um, I liked his character. Uh, I like it better in Black Panther. I think he's handled a little bit better in there. Uh, we get the fight scene. You know, this is where Iron Man shows up because, of course, he knows about Claw and he knows how to get there. Iron Man shows up. We get the fight scene with Ultron. Now, here's where the bad effects continue. Oh, you're talking about my thing here that I had written down that I asked about. Uh, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Ultron... Um chops off this guy's arm and I just I just love James Spader's voice he's like oh oh I'm so sorry I'm sure that will be okay yeah it was just great James Spader can sell it just cause like he said it in such a douchey way like oh oh I'm so sorry mm-hmm. and I don't mind the, the Ultron Iron Man fight I like it's what they do after this, with Iron Man that I don't like, which we'll get to quickly here, so make sure you're paying attention, Jamie, because mm-hmm. you're going to jump ahead. Mm-hmm. But the Iron Man Ultron fight kind of sets this off, and they cut away from it. Then we get Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch fighting with everybody. There's one really cool shot that I thought was great. We see Quicksilver. It's one of the brief moments where Quicksilver's running all over the place, and he's doing his thing, and it's not quite as cool as it is in X-Men, but he's still there. And all of a sudden, he tries to catch Thor's hammer, and it just just drags him straight to the ground. Which that was that, a funny shot. I remember that one. Not just a funny shot. I mean, the effect looked great too. Uh, but most of the fighting here, especially as we're seeing, you know, the, the Thor fighting. I don't know what it is about the Thor fighting that just doesn't look right. Captain America is a little different because they have that hand to hand fighting stuff that he did in Winter Soldier, and they wanted that continuity. But the Thor stuff just looks terrible here. Um, as does some of the Iron Man Ultron fight as well. Uh, Scarlet Witch starts giving everybody nightmares. And again, this whole sequence could have been cut. And I know it was even longer. The Thor nightmare scene had Loki in it, apparently. Uh, here it's just Idris Elba and him, which I don't know if anybody really followed or cared about. I still don't know what his nightmare is supposed to be. Uh, what were the other ones? Black Widow uh, basically has a dream about how bad the movie Red Sparrow was that you <laughs> bought instead of uh, renting or binning as you should have. Yeah. Uh, but did you ever pick up on the the similarities between Black Widow's character and Red Sparrow. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the exact same story. Yeah, I know. Down to the ballet stuff, the 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 training, uh the the spy stuff just being cold. Did you ever pick up on how huge her tits are? <laughs> well, she was 6 months pregnant, let's be honest. They're they're pretty big. They're yeah. huge. Um, She's got big knockers. <laughs> uh but we can't see it any lower than that because then we'd be able to tell she's pregnant, people. Hey, so, bum, bumps on a woman are a good thing. All right. Well, I don't care for her. Uh, anyways, I, I I will say, just at least as a character, they make huge improvements with her in every single movie. I'm not going to say this is better than Winter Soldier, but I thought she was just awful in Iron Man 2. I thought in The Avengers she was just okay. Like, who really cares about Hawkeye and Black Widow? 
Winter Soldier, I thought she was great. I think they do a good job with her here. Uh, but Scarlet Witch starts to take everybody over here. So we have the Red Sparrow scene from uh, Black Widow. We have the um, uh, Thor thing with Idris Elba. Uh, what were the other ones we had? Um, um, Captain America, we have him dancing with Peggy. Yeah. yeah. What's, the what's only the good... Character? Woman in the Marvel movies, Haley Atwell. Oh, you like her. She's, but I love, she's like right at the top of your list. Yeah, there. but I like her character too. I'm not as superficial as you, Jamie. I'm, I'm sure it's all just about she, that. No, let's, let's be honest, okay? In Cap- Captain America, one, the first one, Avenger. One to ten on a bangability scale, where does I'm she fall? I'm not going to go there. Oh, she, oh she's shy. I'm not going to. Or she. I he, guess she is. He, I'm not going to go there. But uh, when you're looking at these Marvel movies, you've got Gwyneth Paltrow... You've got Natalie Portman, and then you've got Haley Atwell. Now, even just on level performance, her performance in Captain America the First Avenger was solid. She found a way to be what everybody claims they always want, a strong female character without even being a fighter. And this is why I hate when they try to make these characters, like I complain about in the Tomb Raider movie, where they just make them so super tough that it's unrealistic. And it's not even about fighting. You just need to have a good character. And I loved her in the First Avenger, they spun it off into the Agent Carter TV show. So she's in here right now because despite having a small role in the first Avenger, she was a real fan favorite. And a lot of it had to do with, we talked about how uh, Agent Coulson had his one shot, you know, the one shots that Marvel did. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what made him a cult hero. It was the same thing with Agent Carter. They just said, you know, we kind of like this girl. We think she's good in the Captain America movie. Let's give her a one shot. And she has this little seven-minute spy story that was just thrown on as a bonus feature. And people love that so much that it evolved into the Agent Carter TV show, which I love the first season of Agent Carter. thought the second season was terrible. But one of the biggest complaints I have about it is the thing that worked in the first Avenger, where they made her this great female character by not drawing so much attention to her, but just having her be a strong character. They just made every second line in the Agent Carter TV show this completely unrealistic depiction of 1940s or whatever where every man is like you stupid woman and we talked about this uh at least ben and i did before on the wonder woman episode that people could say whatever they want about oh women weren't allowed to do this then women weren't allowed to do that yeah but if you ask any woman who grew up during their age they're gonna say at least our men were gentlemen and i hated the agent carter tv show that they made every man like this disgusting pig who was trying to hold women down and that's not the way the character was created but I like that they always bring her back in these movies. They brought her back in The Winter Soldier as an old lady, uh, which, by the way, you want to talk about good effects. Haley Atwell filmed that movie as herself. All of her aging was done through CGI. Uh, and here they bring her back for the dance scene. And the reason this works is, again, one of the reasons why The First Avenger is such an underrated movie. The way it ends, do you remember how it ends with him on the plane talking to her? No. She basically says, hey, we never, he's like, we never got that dance or whatever. We never got that date. And they start talking about what they're going to do, and then he crashes. It's kind of just heartbreaking that this is the first girl who's ever even given him attention. Oh, I, remember, I remember that. Yeah, now. and then he doesn't see her for 75 years until she's an old lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still more attractive than Gwyneth Paltrow or Natalie Portman as yeah, an old lady. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. But yeah, that's his nightmare here. Now, am I missing any here? We had Black Widow, Captain America, Thor. We with, had Tony's with, nightmare earlier on. With Hulk, though. The, we don't see the, it. The next... The next scene, that's not a yeah, hallucination. But, that's what is happening, right? Well, sort of. But we'll, oh. we'll get to that in a second. But what was Hawkeye's nightmare? Mm, what was it? Yeah. He didn't have one. Mm. Remember what happened? She was about to do it to him. And then what did he do? I can't remember. He stuck an arrow in her head. 
And do you remember his line? No. Okay. I didn't uh, write it down. Sorry. Well, I'm going to find it here. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're turning everybody. She's turning people left, right, and center with these nightmares. And when she tries to do it to Hawkeye, he basically knocks her out and he goes, I've done the whole mind control thing. <laughs> and then he, he says something like, it's not fun or whatever. Uh, uh, <laughs> or not for me or something like that. Yeah. I've done the whole mind control thing. It's not for me. That's a reference to the first movie. Remember how I was talking about how he was brainwashed the whole movie and he was I a know. zombie? And that he didn't like it. Renner hated it. That's, so. that's just kind of lame. Yeah, and they made a joke about it here, which was great. I'm sure everybody who at least knew enough about that first movie was just laughing like crazy. When they, I don't remember a lot of laughter at that part in the movie, but I thought it was great. And it's another example of how they're really trying to make it up to Jeremy Renner here, who maybe when they signed him uh, back in 2011, he wasn't like the biggest star in the world. But I mean, Jeremy Renner since then had gone on to get like a second Oscar nomination for The Town. Uh, he did, um, uh, what was that other movie? He did Mission Impossible. Uh, so, I mean, he's starting to become a big star here, and they're making it up to him, and I think they do a good job with Hawkeye in this movie, but of course, he's the only one who doesn't get turned. After this, we go back out to the Ultron and Iron Man fight. Uh, I, again, I like the fight, I like them tearing each other apart. We see Scarlet Witch outside, who she just seems to, this, there's so much stuff that could have been cut in this movie, and there's other things where it's like, why didn't we see this? When did we see Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver suddenly go from inside a building to being out in the desert? Maybe she gets her brother to carry her along. I understand how it could have happened, but why aren't we seeing these things? These are continuity issues in a movie where we didn't have to see characters talking about whose girlfriend was better when Captain America won that battle in the first place, right? But she just appears, and then she says something about, like, I want his mind or whatever. I want the big one. And the next time we see him, he's hulked out. So it happens off screen. Again, something we probably could have seen. I would have loved to have seen... Her get inside his mind, and then as he's almost in an unconscious state, he completely hulks out from an unconscious state. Something. But they just appear outside without any explanation of how they got there. Like there's a deleted scene that nobody realized wasn't there. And then he just hulks out. And you don't because you didn't see that, I didn't even realize. You had her mention, I want the big guy's mind. And then you see him hulking out. You don't even realize he's under her control till somebody says it. That that's what I was just kind of saying. It's I, so I, bad. I was just asking. I'm like, was this hallucination or was it real? I was just yeah. asking that. Because they I, do explain. I, I, that, I honestly couldn't tell. Well, they do explain that she did it to him. Uh, but it all happens off screen and there's no reason for it. And it is such a bad continuity error. Like, I don't understand how people watch it. Are the people just so blinded by, we have Iron Man fighting the Hulk that they don't realize how bad the story is, how bad the continuity is, and how sloppy the movie making is here. But the fight scene between the Hulkbuster armor of Iron Man and the Hulk, again, a major complaint oh, e- I have. Even even before that, I actually had put a note here. I said, there's police shooting at the Hulk. Avengers are famous. And, and then I put in brackets here. They were on the news in the last movie. And also, just after the scene, they're on the news in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like lots of people know about them and their powers. I put, don't they know that bullets won't hurt him? Like, why yeah. are they why are they shooting at him, just well, making him more angry to actually go that's have another get hurt and that, killed? That's another problem that I'll just mention now, because I know I'll forget otherwise. But um, when they have this stuff on the news and they're talking about, oh, oh, now the whole world has seen the Hulk. The whole world saw the Hulk in the Incredible Hulk movie. It's so stupid that they're trying to make it where, where Banner's like, well, they've seen me in my true form now as if nobody knew who the Hulk was before he saved New York City. 
What about when he broke Harlem, as was clearly public knowledge, in the first Incredible Hulk movie? Or all these Hulk sightings and everything. It just it doesn't make any sense why they make a big deal out of that. But yeah, like these people should know about it. The military has been on to him for a long time. They know everything about it. But here's my issue. Now, there's some cool things in here. When the Hulk gets covered by that prison that Iron Man shoots down from space, and the way out of it is that he basically tears his way through the earth till this thing sinks, and then he pops up through a car amazing shot and again i like the stuff they do with the hulk in this movie but there's something about this giant hulkbuster armor fight scene that iron man has where why does iron man have to always be the one on top of everything we had the opening scene where he had to be the one to go into the castle we had the scene where he has to be the one to take on ultron we had the scene here where he has to be the one to capture the hulk it's just it's i I remembered this movie differently i remembered not liking how Iron Man was just so central in the first one that everybody else felt sidelined. He's even more central to this one. Well, I, I do like this scene, though. I thought it was funny. I put a big capital LOL on this. How when Tony's punching Hulk and he's saying, Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Yeah. it's. But again, this is my problem I mentioned the first time around. That sometimes when he's giving off these funny one-liners, it actually it's the same reason why I don't like the juvenile stuff of let's all lift his hammer. Because it just sort of takes you out of the character's seriousness. You do have to have a level of seriousness. The Winter Soldier is a perfect example. Nobody's going to argue that the Winter Soldier is probably, if some people might say they prefer, you know, Thor Ragnarok or Iron Man 1 or something like that or Guardians of the Galaxy on a level of fun. But nobody argues that the Winter Soldier is the best Marvel movie all around as far as storytelling goes. The characters are serious as could be. There are fun moments in there, but they're serious throughout because the plot has to be taken seriously. When Ultron, this artificial intelligence thing, is about to take over the world, why is Iron Man feeling like he can crack jokes with the go-to-sleep thing? And if he's going to do that, feel a little intensity. And this just this whole sequence felt like we see this incredible battle between this giant Iron Man Hulkbuster suit and the Hulk. And whenever it cuts to Tony Stark in there, he's so monotone, it's almost like they just filmed... I know they did this, but they just filmed him and said, okay, now say, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And they didn't realize that his delivery of the line is completely contradictory to the action and the intensity the scene's supposed to have it drags you out of the drama of the scene and when he's just go to sleep go to sleep go to sleep can can we just completely skip over this next scene which again it's it's so useless and well besides the love story part that was the only part that was actually i i felt like uh, useful and needed. This whole scene where we're at Hawkeye's house with his well, family. Uh, that's, that's I'm com- 100% convinced that every single time you're going to jump ahead to the next scene before we talk about it. What? Well, we're not there yet. No, I know. It's the next scene. I ha- It's the next no, scene. No, but we're I've not done this next. yet. Oh. Okay. Remember, I'll cap it and then you'll know <laughs> we're ready to move on. Um, do you want to talk about the... Form? No, let's get to this first because I have more things to complain about here. So we mentioned the whole destruction of a city. The audience is just being over it by the time the Avengers came out. So every superhero movie since then has pulled back and tried to contain their big battles to small areas. Uh, even in Civil War, where we're, fighting, we're all fighting each other. It's a massive battle, but it's just in a deserted airport, uh, tarmac. Uh, in... Um, the uh, Batman versus Superman. Well, it's a deserted area of the city. In uh, the um, Black Panther, you know, it's it's Wakanda, but we're not destroying anything. We're out in a field. But 
they made such a constant effort to even announce in this one, it's not just going to be Cities of Destruction. It's going to be a much smaller, more personal movie. They destroy a freaking African city here. And yet audiences, again, are blind into thinking, well, the one thing Joss Whedon did right in this movie was that he didn't just have a destruction of a city. Why? Because it's not New York City? Whatever this major city is here in Africa, they destroy it. They crumble it to the ground. The Hulk and Iron Man literally crash on the top of a building, and we see a 50-floor building collapse on itself. They destroy an entire city. But because it's some small African city, people are like, well, they're not just destroying cities anymore. They're still doing it here. And I hate that because I think all audiences were sort of over just that mass uh, destruction of a city. And it's no different here at all. It's just, it's in the desert. And you don't identify it with as much because it's not New York and you haven't seen it a million times and it's not your society or whatever. But it's... it's I I completely actually uh, skipped over that too. But you didn't even notice? No. So they do a good job of disguising it. It's not in my notes here. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember. But that's the thing is that they found some way to brainwash people into thinking we're we're doing things differently in this movie. It's the exact same thing. It's actually just kind of worse now because this is some third world country that they've just destroyed. And there's no consequences for it. You know, the only consequences is Bruce Banner saying afterwards, it's so terrible that now the world sees the the real Hulk and they're going to think I'm terrible now. You just killed a thousand people in there, Hulk. A thousand poor Africans. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to talk about on here other than just that destruction. Except for, when the Hulk loses a tooth, how come Banner doesn't come out losing a tooth? Mm. We see the Hulk spit out a tooth. Like, does it regrow? We should have seen, like, Mark Ruffalo missing his front tooth or something like that after this. Did it show Hulk missing a tooth? Yeah, when Iron Man did that, I think it was when he did the go-to-sleep thing. The Hulk just sort of looks up, he turns his head, spits out a tooth, and then starts the fight again. Oh. I didn't even catch that, actually. Okay. So the first Ultron versus Avengers battle. What do you think of it overall? Um, again, I actually really liked it. I thought it was more entertaining than the first one. Well, okay. I say really, I I really liked it for what this movie is. What? A worse movie? Well, this, this... <laughs> it was scene, a high spot in a this, bad movie? This scene was better than the first beginning start scene of the movie. I'll agree with that. Yeah, it's better than the the pre-title scene, but it's still dumb. We're still getting just ridiculous action with bad effects for the most part, no real consequences, and just destruction of an entire city, just that in a way it's actually more offensive than the first time. Um, the, the one thing I did like was the whole, you know, uh, we're going to need a lullaby or to the... Uh, Black Widow or whatever. Uh, and, and also, is this code green? I like that they have a code... Bruce Banner basically hides out in the ship while they're doing everything and then just waits and they say code green and then he comes running. Yeah, I remember. And what's funny about that is it's actually something that occurs more than once because we're going to see later on when the Hulk just wants to run away again instead of actually being in the battle. But it's completely contradictory to another thing we're going to see later on, which is uh, where he's talking to uh, Scarlet Witch and, I mean, we'll get to it later, but he talks to Scarlet Witch later and he talks about, like, you know, I could... uh, rip your head right off of your neck or something like that without even changing colors or something like that, implying that like Bruce Banner himself is that tough. But he hides in the ship, and then later on he wants to run away. So I don't know. A lot of mixed messages here about Banner and the Hulk. I, I do love the whole, as you were mentioning earlier, though the, the cold, code green yeah. thing. Yeah, the code green thing is fun. Um, and I, I would like to see how a whole mission goes down. Like, is it always, all right, uh... 
Hawkeye, you go out there and, you know, uh, watch the perimeter and shoot anybody who's coming in. Black Widow, you ride in there, you know, in a Jeep and jump out of a moving vehicle in a backflip onto somebody. And Captain America, go on your motorcycle and throw your shield at anybody coming at us. And Thor, you carry any uh, injured people back to the ship while Tony Stark goes there and takes care of your family business. Bruce, wait in the ship for your call. <laughs> code green, code green. Can, can we get back to this, uh, this... What is it? Farmhouse. The farm. You're very excited to talk about the farmhouse scene because it's the only scene where Mark Ruffalo is shirtless. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um. I, yeah, I put it in big capital letters. Mark Ruffalo is shirtless. Okay. Well, funny enough, that's the first note I have too. I just put, could they have dressed Banner? Well, that was before it actually. Well, well we've Hold we've on. established this before that we have the same taste in. Men. Yes, that's true. But mine's before that. Mine's actually <laughs> when they're on their way there after like the the collapse of the entire building and everything, and you know. Uh, he finally finishes his Hulk out. So when they're on their way to the farmhouse and it shows them all uh, on the plane or the ship or whatever, Banner's just wrapped in a blanket. Like, I'm assuming they had to load him on the ship still as the Hulk and then eventually he comes down or whatever. But, like, somebody could have gotten Banner some clothes. Like, I guarantee if these are regular missions they have, they have spare clothes. But they just throw a blanket on Banner and he sits there shivering, which is weird. Anyways, they show up at the farmhouse, which is Jamie's favorite sequence of the movie. Uh, so we finally see the Hawkeye backstory. They had a couple mentions earlier on about, you know, uh, oh, I don't have a girlfriend. And then who are you on the phone with? The girlfriend, right? And then they all show up at this house here, and uh, you're introduced to his wife. Now, did you recognize his wife? Uh, I've seen her before. I was going to actually ask you about that. I know her from somewhere. And you know what's Bloodline? Fun- yeah, that's right. And you know what's funny? I actually never noticed this about that girl before. But she looks like she could, like, not twin sisters, but she looks like she could be the sister of Ellen Page. She kind of looks like Ellen Page. Uh, maybe a little bit. Um, but that's, that's what I was thinking. No, this is Meg from Bloodline, which is, of course, my favorite show that I don't know how many people have watched on here, but also the show that uh, brought us Ben Mendelsohn, who was the villain recently in Ready Player One, was the villain in Rogue One. Uh, pretty much anything that ends in a one, I guess Ben Mendelsohn's okay, villain. Okay, this is in. Avengers, not Bloodline. Hey, I would love to do Bloodline Oz. I know you would. <laughs> uh, great show, especially season one. But uh, was they're all introduced to his wife or whatever, Meg here, the wife, and then uh, the kids, and they're going around the farmhouse, which I like that we're getting to see Hawkeye's private life. It just seems weird that he's like a farm boy. <laughs> I don't know. It's... It is a little bit weird. Well, he's it, also... It seemed a little bit out of place. He's... Well, the reason for it is that, like, I've lived on a farm before, and... The farm I lived on was like super primitive. Like and, you and went you there, could be like the furthest thing from a farm boy. Yeah, well, exactly. But like you went there, you saw our old farm, and like this is as primitive as God. I mean, they've upgraded since then, but like we had no bathroom you, in the house. You had to boil your well water. My mom spent six hours a day boiling well water so that she could cook and wash dishes and. We would bathe. We didn't even have a bathtub. We bathed in, like, big metal industrial feeding bins. <laughs> like, this was, like, beyond Little House on the Prairie style. And, and it's funny because some people might get nostalgic and be like, I would love to live out of the city, but I've asked you before, do you want to move out of the city? You're like, heck no. I mean, I, I look at it like a badge of honor that we lived, like, so primitive for a couple of years um, when I was, like, a very little kid, so I just didn't know any better. Like, I look at it like a badge of honor. Hey, I was able to survive like that, but, like, I don't want to... I want my own bathroom inside. Like, and there's when that I was fun, a, there's that funny story that you told me about when you actually oh, and, it, and it's not even the city, but it's yeah, it's like a small town, and you moved there and yeah. then you peed outside, and you're like, okay. what? This is normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, the full story, which is funnier if you context, is that 
you know, we've been living on this farm uh, where we didn't have, and we had an outhouse, but the outhouse was a, a bit of a walk away. And uh, if, if it was even in the middle of the night or something like that, or first thing in the morning and in the winter in Manitoba, especially out, you know, uh, in the middle of nowhere, you're not going to go outside to uh, go to the washroom when you're three years old or four years old or whatever. So we had like a potty that was on our deck that we'd have to go even there. So like indoor bathroom made no sense to me at this age. So we move into the metropolis of LaSalle, Manitoba, which if you look up the population now, it doesn't do justice to what the population was in the mid to late 80s when I'm a little kid. And at the time there, we're talking about only a few hundred people, period, including living outside of LaSalle. And my mom's unpacking stuff in the house and she looks out our kitchen window and sees me peeing in the neighbor's yard the neighbors staring out their window looking at this weird kid peeing in their yard she has to come grab me and says we can go to the bathroom in the house now colin it's okay <laughs> very just exciting so, times just so it's it's like this a little bit of a rabbit trail though that's just like 20 seconds but it is so funny to actually think about how kids think and how they process yeah. everything and just if you could understand what they were thinking man is that funny well, yeah, I mean, our baby Casper, he's not potty trained yet, but won't go into all the details, but trying to teach him how to pee. And he just simply thinks if you're around water, you stand up and you pee. So he's in the bathtub <laughs> uh, and he just stay, he's like, there's water here, but I need to stand to pee. So he stands and he pees because, hey, I'm around water. I got to pee here. But anyways, back to my original point where <laughs> we got on babies peeing and kids peeing in yards. Uh, so we lived on a farm for a period of time and it wasn't really a farm that was met like my dad didn't want to farm. He worked in the city. He drove two hours a day to go to work. Uh, he drove two hours home back out of the city to come home every single night, basically was gone uh, for 13 hours a day. Uh, just because he didn't like the city. The exact opposite of me. He's like, I don't want to be around people. I don't want to farm anything. I don't want to grow carrots. I don't want to do this. My mom had like a garden there, but he's, I don't want to have a million animals. We had like two horses, which again was just for riding and just for fun. But he had no ambitions to be a farmer. He just wanted to live on a large bit of land and be away from, as far away from people as possible. Uh, so, I already know just based on that how much work went into keeping a farm. Can you imagine mowing the grass of just the area surrounding your house? And then you're dealing with uh, all the other things that, that happen. I mean, we would have cows wander into our yard and stuff like that. And the neighbor's cows. Then he'd have to go scare the cows away or call the neighbor or stuff like that. Uh, little things like that, there was a lot of work that went into. You know, him having to fix up a tractor. Little things like that where he's not even working on his own farm took a lot of work. Now, the idea that Hawkeye is probably away for weeks, we're getting the impression he's been away for weeks at a time here, and he just wanders home, and his pregnant wife is tending the farm. Is she pregnant? She's pregnant, yeah. But oh, well, I missed you that. Notice... Thank you. Thank you. What? Well, I was going to mention again how many things in this movie, there's so much crap in this movie that doesn't need to be there. I'm not even just talking story, just let's throw a million things in this movie that everything is thrown out there so subtly that you can't even process it. There's going to be a million things coming up later on. The video that they send at the very end of the movie where Black Widow's watching the, not the birth of the baby. We're not seeing a baby push its way out of her, you know what. Uh, but they're, they have the new baby and they say hi to Aunt Natasha. You missed that. See, you. this is what I'm talking about. This is what's wrong with this movie. 
so much stuff that they don't have time to explain or, or talk about or properly uh, explain. If you guys could see the look on my face, I'm wondering, did he make this up? I didn't make it up. I'll show you later. But anyways, his pregnant wife with two small kids is doing everything on this farm, and he's supposed to be a hero. Why? Like, we're going to get into it in a second. Well, let me just jump to the Hawkeye thing before we get to Banner in the shower, okay? So, I really like what mm. they do with Hawkeye here. Um, <clears throat> I, I love that he has character development, even though things just don't make sense about this. But one of the smartest things they did in this movie, and again, every time Joss Whedon introduces something smart in this movie, they ruin it by basically going nowhere with it or not exploring it enough. And he has this you know, thing where they're talking, or he's talking to his wife, and they're looking out the window at Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and everything, and he's like, hey, look at these guys. They're gods out there. They don't need me. And there's this really cool conversation he has with his wife about... Am I needed anymore? And where I think they should have gone with this was to really explore him that maybe he's been doing this for 15 years and up until now, he has been the superhero. Him and Blackwater, they're the superheroes. He's like, I'm a mortal man now. These guys have it under control. You know, there's no need for somebody like me when we have people like them anymore. And they subtly mention that there, but they don't go far enough with it. But I like this idea that he's like, I can step away now. I don't have to be here anymore. You know? Um... Any thoughts on the Hawkeye story other than just how weird it is he's on a farm and that you don't know his wife's pregnant? Um, only just that I didn't have any notes on it, but only just that it seems like my impression from watching it is that they were, again, trying to make up for the fact that the yeah, last movie he got last. nothing. So yeah. it, it just seems like they're trying too hard. In my well, opinion. I wouldn't say they're trying too hard. I mean, it's something different. And most people walked away from the first... I, I'm starting to come up with a theory here most people walked away from the first movie saying they loved the hulk why because it was something different we'd seen all the other characters already most people walked away from this movie saying they loved scarlet witch they loved vision and they loved hawkeye those were the three big takeaways people had from age of ultron and those are all the characters that we either hadn't seen before well let's let's face it we hadn't seen hawkeye before so people just sort of like stuff that's new here uh but i don't think they go far enough with any of it uh I like the line, though, where Tony comes in, and I i don't want to give off the impression I'm not a fan of Robert Downey Jr. or Tony Stark as Iron Man. I love Tony Stark as Iron Man, just not when it's overkill. It's kind of like Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, you know? In the first movie, he's great. In the second movie, okay. But once you've seen nothing but Johnny Depp for four or five movies, you're just tired of it. And that's where I feel like I am at this point of Age Ultron, and they redeem it a little bit in Civil War. But... He still has these really funny lines, like when they walk in, it's like, he's talking to the wife, he's like, hi, uh, thank you, you have a lovely home, we would have called ahead, but we had no idea you existed, <laughs> which goes along, that was basically your comment, I didn't know he had a wife, um, I don't get how the wife automatically picks up on this whole Black Widow, Black Widow, Widow. Uh, the Black Widow and Bruce, Black Widow and Bruce Banno thing, <laughs> because... When they interact, and there's a lot of things like this in the movie where somebody doesn't actually witness something happen, and they just immediately seem to know it happened. Like, I mentioned that with Ultron's knowledge of Tony Stark that goes beyond just what he would have had based on his artificial intelligence. Uh, she's immediately like, how long's the Natasha Banner thing been going on? And Hawkeye's like, what are you talking about? But yeah, when they walk in the house, she literally does not see these two interact or even make eye contact. They're, I don't even think they're standing next to each other. 
And the shower scene has not come up yet. Or if it has, she's not present for that. But she immediately picks up on it. Just sloppy writing here. Uh, find anything. All you got to do is have one look between the characters. You waste two seconds of film in a two-hour and 21-minute movie to actually establish why the wife would pick up on it's, this. It's just poorly thought out. Yeah. Uh, we'll just cover all the farmhouse stuff here uh, before we get back to what Ultron's doing. Well, I'll, I'll just say, because we're going to have nothing to add on it. Ultron finds this genetics lab in Seoul. Uh, he finds the the doctor from the beginning, your <laughs> weird favorite character who had one funny line well, I that I thought was terrible. I didn't say she was my favorite. I just said it was a cool line. She's like, will Thor be there? I, I hate that line still. Uh, he's trying to build a body. But anyway, so now we get to it. Banner's in the shower. So he's shirtless, uh, draped in a towel. Here we get the first real scene that's not just flirtation between him and Black Widow, I guess. Uh, and this is where they have that conversation about, you know, um, the, the Hulk or whatever and how this wouldn't work and all that. Uh, I have no real notes on this other than shirtless banner again, uh, shower scene. Heck yeah. You have anything you want to add on this? I just put shirtless. <laughs> you want to further add how Mark Ruffalo gets more love from women than Hemsworth and Evans combined? I don't really know. I don't know why. I'm honestly not sure why. I mean... Like all all three you, all three you know in one would be <laughs> you know four four all together if you count me but no <laughs> no well here's a question okay um, Mark Ruffalo I guess he's mostly known as you said for playing kind of really nice guys mm-hmm. charming charming guys nerdy nice nerdy it's pretty rare you see him as a sleazy character even though he kind of broke through like his first breakthrough movie uh, you can count on me he was a little bit sleazy there but he just naturally has like this very you know nice demeanor about him Uh, how do you view the whole bad boy Bruce Banner that we get in this movie where it's not just hey the Hulk has anger issues like hey I got anger issues hey don't cross me you know Mm, not that um how would I say it? Not, not that it's bad acting or anything like that, because he's great. He's a great actor. But I can see him in this role the way that he is, but just him as a person from all the movies I've ever seen, it doesn't fit. Well, if, I, if that makes sense. No, I mean, I wouldn't see it working in every movie, but I, I actually love that they do that with him in this movie. That he has, well, even in the first movie, my favorite... I mean, he could probably be playing, like, a hobo, and I would still think he's really hot. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm talking about his character here, but um, the, like, the conversation here is fine, because, again, you you get more impression that he's like, hey, I'm more messed up than the Hulk, you know, this is really my problem here. Uh, But even the first movie, I I keep mentioning, my favorite scene is that scene where they're all going around angry and arguing with each other, and he's picking up the scepter and doesn't even realize it. Like, I like the dark side of the Hulk that we get to see... And I still think they do a good job with him, his his character here. Uh, I'm going to get to people's complaints on Black Widow later on. But all I could really notice here is how much Black Widow is in this movie for somebody that they had to shoot around. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partly showing the problem with this movie is that they cram so much action in here and so much story that's unnecessary. The only person they could use to really have these talking, quiet scenes is Scarlett Johansson. Because what else are we going to do with her? Otherwise, we're just filming her stunt double. Because uh, when we get to the end of the movie, I'm going to have an interesting note that I made, which I would have people challenge me on if they say I'm wrong. But, uh, I mean, she's all over this movie like Tony Stark is, too. Uh, the scene with um, Captain America and Iron Man having their conversation. Now, this is 
at the time, I just remember thinking, this doesn't compare to the big argument scene I keep mentioning in the first movie, or I guess all the tension we had in the first movie, but Captain America and Iron Man really being at odds when they're chopping wood or whatever. It's a good setup for what we're going to see in Civil War, and I felt like, I, I don't know if we needed that to get to Civil War, but looking back, it's a little bit more interesting than maybe it was at the time to see how their ideals are different. But how cool is the shot where they're arguing and Captain America rips a log in two like it's a ripped piece of paper? Yeah. Amazing. Like, some of the things I like best in these movies, and this shows how bad the movie is as a whole, it's not the cool moments in this. It's little things like when Quicksilver gets dragged down by Thor's hammer or when Captain America rips a log in half. (laughs) And it's just sort of like blink and you miss it. So, I mean, I'll give some credit to... The clever things Joss Whedon does here, we're going to get it later on with the the hammer thing that comes up later on. But uh, where it's like, you have to look closely to really notice these things. Uh, Thor ends up leaving. <laughs> Why? So he could go find his real girlfriend, Selvig, the scientist, Tarzan and Pennywise's dad here. Uh, Why is it that he's going on and on about his girlfriend, Natalie Portman, but yet two movies in a row, this is his bromance. This is the guy that he's like, I need this man. Mm-hmm. I cannot survive on this earth without this man. <laughs> uh, it's just... Is the, and this is the scene where he's in the car? Thor's in a car? Yeah. Wh- well, he shows up at Selvig's when, car. Yeah, and it's just funny because it, it looked like he was driving. And then when we were watching the movie, I said, Thor has a license? I don't know if you said that or if it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I missed it because so many things happened in this movie so quickly. Uh, Sorry, I just let us know if that point. let us know if that actually occurred in this movie. Uh, Nick Fury shows up again. Now you probably don't remember this, but in Winter Soldier, he was presumed dead. He showed up at the end of that, like I faked my own death. So he's just going to be this guy who pops in and out. Um, the scene coming with Ultron here, uh, where he's talking, I guess, to Scarlet Witch. This is where Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver start to realize there's something wrong with Ultron. Yeah, and that, that scene where he's um, uh, actually trying to make, like, a body or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had written down that it was pretty much, like, my favorite scene in the movie up to this point. I just found it really where cool. Where Ultron was creating a body? Well, he, where he was trying to. It was just the whole idea of it. It was very Again, interesting. Again, just showing how opposite our opinions are. I'm like, okay, so they, they had the scene with Hawkeye and his wife. We're not going to get to Banner yet, so maybe I'll talk about this. I'm like, oh, let me just say this. They're in the genetics lab. They're trying to build a body for Ultron. And I completely skipped past it because I had no reaction with this whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. Cool. I mean, it's important for what's going to come up later on. Although there are, I don't know, 15 too many things in this movie that didn't need to be there. Uh, but the scene later on, I really love... Some of the dialogue they have for Ultron is really good. Uh, and the way James Spader delivers lines like... Um, uh, what was where he's saying the most versatile substance on the planet, and they use it to make a frisbee. <laughs> Talking yeah. about vibranium. Yeah, about Captain America's shield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than that, like a couple of good lines. I, I really don't care about what's going on with the Ultron stuff at this point, and it's so convoluted. Like, how do you follow what Ultron is doing or what he can do, and how he just keeps appearing in and out of robot bodies? What is his plan? Like, we're not even properly told at any point in this movie what Ultron's plan is, why he wants this... Bo- I mean, we know he wants the Mind Stone, you know, with Loki's scepter and all that, but there's just so much crap here that we don't need. Um, the scene where Captain America mentions, too, I just like like this line, I miss the days when the weirdest thing science ever created was me. I love that, that line there. 
Captain America gets some of the best dialogue in this movie, and it's it's always a play on him sort of being out of touch or out of the time, you know. Uh, but I just love the the perspective that Captain America brings to this movie too. Uh, anything else you want to talk about in the farmhouse scene, or you want to move on here to Thor's dream? Move on. Okay, because I knew I have to talk about this separately. Thor's shirtless now in a pool. Why? I don't know. Where did they find this pool? We're never told. Why does Selvig have to be there? We're never told. I I must have been like washing a dish or something at this point because I completely missed that. Thor was shirtless in a pool of water so he could revisit this dream from earlier. I missed that. That, of course, we don't really get to see the dream, nor are we told why he needs to see this dream. You have to really dig to realize the reason he does this, it has nothing... Story-wise, there's no reason for Thor to do this. He's like, well, I need to go back to revisit this dream that the witch put in my head. Because there's some clue that's going to come up ten movies from now in Infinity War. We're going to need to know. And this is supposedly how he's supposed to know about the Mind Stone. That this thing in Loki's Scepter is one of the Infinity Stones. Which, of course, mean nothing to the audience up until this point. So let's just throw it away so nobody knows what they're talking about. Uh, but anyways, we get the scene where he's shirtless in the pool. And Jamie was washing dishes and didn't pay attention. Or Casper was making noise or something disturbing my movie. Yeah. Uh... Alright, so here we get probably the best action sequence in the movie, because I feel like it's the most realistic, even though there's still some bad effects here. This is the truck chase. So Ultron's got his body, and he's on a truck. Why Ultron needs to transport on a trailer being pulled by a semi-truck in the middle of Seoul, Korea, I don't know. If this guy can fly anywhere, transport himself out of anywhere, we have never seen him confined to motor vehicles and now he's like the only way we're gonna get this body where we need to go is to transport it on a truck please explain this to me i don't know i didn't really understand it either it's so stupid why does he all of a sudden need a truck to get anywhere it's movie logic i guess and you're telling me that this movie was better than the first one the first one made sense well i i don't know i just i thought there were part a lot more entertaining parts of it the thing is the most I, advanced artificial intelligence being I, ever created. Uh, you kill him, he transports himself into another machine, another body, anywhere. Sh- He's sh- in a massive sh- battle with the Avengers. You're wake the baby up. And he flies himself out of it effortlessly. He could have a million of his robots carrying this body. And he says, get me a trailer. Not he's, a flatbed, an enclosed trailer. He's very upset about this. I'm very upset because it's such a stupid him. thing that nobody, all these people, all these Marvel fanboys who are like, Marvel does nothing wrong. Ultron loads himself into an enclosed trailer. Shut up, you're going to wake up, Casper. And let's, before we get to the action, what happens to this trailer later on? I actually didn't know anything with when, that. When Black Widow's now inside this trailer, what happens to it? Gets blown up? No. (laughs) Ultron attaches some type of jets to it and flies the freaking trailer to Sokovia from Korea. Oh, that's right. He could fly things. Why is he loading it in an enclosed trailer? I watched this the day before yesterday. I really should know that. It's so stupid, people. This movie's terrible. But that's just kind of funny. It's like, well, why didn't he do that in the first place? Exactly. It'd be way more efficient. And then he has this prolonged battle, which I like the action scene where Captain America throws himself on. Maybe it's because we get a lot of Captain America. And this isn't just because I'm a Captain America fanboy. I am a Captain America fanboy. But... 
you need realism in a movie like this. And the reason none of the effects work is because it's just these over-the-top things of Thor flying and zooming through the air, Iron Man flying and zooming through the air, and doing nothing other than just collapsing buildings. And it's blinking, you miss it. This is Michael Bay filmmaking we're getting out of Age of Ultron. So if you have a guy jumping onto a trailer, realistically, even if he has superpowers, and having a hand-to-hand combat battle with a robot... It's slightly more realistic. So I like this sequence. And it's funny because I didn't remember this was in the movie. I saw When I saw this three years ago, it made no real impression on me. And I didn't remember it was in the movie. But anyways, I like the fight scene. Although it still looks... There's a lot of these fast, jerky movements that still don't work for the special effects. Um, Black Widow here. This was a complaint I had in the first movie. They don't do this as much with Hawkeye. But with Black Widow, like maybe because she's supposed to be very acrobatic... She does things that are just superhuman that don't make any sense. And it's a lot of stuff we see with her on the motorcycle, with her when she's flying through the air and jumping all over things. And She's I, a sparrow, didn't you know? She's a red sparrow, yeah. But in Red Sparrow, which I binned and you bought, uh, I I still didn't see as many complaints as I do just with the way that they use Blackwood on the end. I'm going to be the devil's advocate here that I've been the whole movie. She was pregnant. You're using a stunt double. Anything you're going to do, it's not going to look as good, so you might as well just go all out. But I just don't like how with Black Widow so often, they have her doing these superhero things, especially when she grabs his shield. Remember when his shield is planted? Of course you don't remember. Captain America's shield was planted in the middle of the street. She's going about 150 kilometers an hour on a motorcycle and grabs the shield with her left hand. And No, I remember that. And I remember thinking... Physically impossible. I, I remember thinking to myself, too, like, maybe if you're a superhero, but if you, were, not. if you were going that fast, you would have totally fallen off of that. And this is why I was saying that they dropped the ball when they introduced that really smart thing earlier on with Hawkeye saying, I'm human. We've got gods now protecting the Earth. They don't need me. Yeah. Black Widow should be asking the same question, which they should have brought up with the Hulk scene later on. But she does these superhuman things, and the reason that these characters belong in the movie is because you need somebody to relate to. You need somebody to bring that realism. That's why they put Black Widow and Hawkeye in this movie in the first place, so that it wasn't just all superheroes. So you had somebody that the audience could relate to, and they blow that here by Black Widow basically acting superhuman in this movie. Uh, but still, the sequence is cool. Uh, I like the the, the truck chase. Um, when the trailer flies off, again, it makes no sense, but it's a really cool visual. I wish that Joss Whedon had dwelled on it a little longer. This is kind of the Michael Bay filmmaking I was talking about. When something incredible happens on screen, dwell on it. You know, people complain a lot about Superman Returns. And I'm a defender of Superman Returns, but I'm not even going to get into the argument about whether the story works, whether they needed a proper villain, whether it was too reverential to the originals. When Superman lifts an entire island... They dwell on that shot. They build to it. They let the audience, let that sink in. So many incredible things have happened in this movie. When that building did collapse earlier, if they had dwelt on that, instead of just having it be, look at this massive destruction, let's move on to something else, you're more impressed by it. And I think this trailer lift thing, it, it's, 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 it would have been really cool if they had dwelt on it a little bit more. Um, the train scene that we have after this... So now we have Captain America, and we got Quicksilver on there. we got Scarlet Witch on there and everything. Quicksilver. Yeah. Do uh, you have anything you want to add on these truck chases, the train stuff? I actually don't even have anything until after the vision is made. Can you come up with something? <laughs> I'm running out of breath here. Well, I I just I had some funny things to say later, but... Uh, okay, I'm... well, let's talk about Scarlet Witch then, if, if you got nothing to add here. Because she's in this battle here, and first of all... 
I already said I walked out of this movie saying I think that Vision, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, those are the best things about this movie. I, I will agree with you, yeah. And I'm and, not going to... And then I don't think that they were fully utilized still, though, no, even though they I were. say that. They, well, Vision is a bigger problem, but I think they were. The reason is because we're not... Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are both on screen the exact same amount of time. They have the exact same amount of significance. They have the same storyline, the same story arc. And nobody walked out of this movie saying, I loved Quicksilver. That's here's, the difference. Here's something to add on, um, uh, just to hear what your opinion is, because you talked about the costumes for uh, Scarlet Witch and for Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the whole look for the Vision? Oh, I mean, the, the, in this movie it works. When they put him in a sweater vest in Civil War, terrible. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I'm not as big of a fan of Civil War as most people are, even though I like the movie. I felt like they ruined Vision and they ruined Scarlet Witch in that. Uh, Scarlet Witch's costume, like, do you know what Scarlet Witch looks like in the comics? I don't know, but the the Vision, though, I mean, I always had a hard time processing it. Literally, to me, it doesn't look like anything other than a guy in red makeup. Yeah, well, first of all, you can see Scarlet Witch's costume here. It's very 90s. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a one-piece bathing suit with a cape and... Something that looks like Magneto's helmet in a way. Uh, Vision from the comics. We'll look up differently so you can again compare here to see what he looks like. So, again, what, you, there's only so much you could do with red skin. They gave him the cape in the movie. Uh, the color scheme's different, but for the most part, Vision, probably the closest we've gotten. We'll get to the Vision later. But as for Scarlet Witch, I felt like the look suited her more in this movie for the most part, they've stuck with the comic book costumes other than Thor not having his helmet with the wings on it. Uh, Captain America's co- costume is pretty close to the comics. Iron Man's is. The Hulk is not purple pants, but he's in pants, I guess. Uh, but with Scarlet Witch, they just had her dressed like a regular woman, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in appropriate color or whatever. But I don't know. There's certain things that I thought only came up in Civil War that I really noticed now. The main thing is now... I'm not knocking Elizabeth Olsen as an actress. I actually think she's probably one of the best young actresses out there. The first big movie she had, uh, and the title alone, I should have never seen a movie like this. It was called Martha Marcy May Marlene. And the title doesn't do just with... The movie's basically a loose adaptation of, uh, I guess, a fictionalized adaptation of the Manson family. And she's playing this girl who gets involved in a cult and... The guy is basically Charles Manson, but it's a fictional version of that. Uh, Really interesting movie. Incredible performance. I think she probably... I don't think she got an Oscar nomination that year. She really should have. She arguably should have even won. She gave an amazing performance in that. So I was excited they got a real actress to do this movie. I remember being a little bit more impressed with her performance the first time around. I'm not as impressed with it this time. I think they do a good job with her character, but her accent is awful. I didn't even really notice it. You didn't notice her saying, he will do anything to make things right. <laughs> and I picked up on this in Civil War. And I wasn't the only person. Every single person I talked to, I wouldn't even bring it up. People would be like, why was the Scarlet Witch's accent continuing to slip in mid-lines in Civil War? And I thought that it started there, but you go back and watch it here. Maybe she has less dialogue. She's really bad with the accent. When she does the Russian-sounding accent, it sounds over-the-top Russian, as opposed to Quicksilver, it sounds like he's Russian from Brooklyn, which is also annoying. But so many of her lines, she starts in Russian and it evolves into an American accent. I didn't even notice. 
You have anything positive you want to add on Scarlet Witch? You said your favorite character in the movie. Yeah, well, it's 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 a little bit right after. Um, uh, All right, if it's after, let's save it. Yeah. Okay. But here she kind of turns and helps them. Uh, so they had that speculation about, or are they with them later on? I mean, Captain America kind of sees them help him here. Uh, we get the Captain America Ultron fight, which again, it's just sort of confusing. If Ultron can do all these things, why he's actually bothering to do? You know, hand-to-hand combat scenes against Iron Man and against Captain America and everything. Um, I'm getting more and more frustrated with this movie doing this recap than I did watching it. Uh, so, yeah, well, Scarlet Witch also had that line about this is where we, the only reason we get the motive for Ultron was he can't tell the difference between saving the world and destroying it. Uh, the characters all meet together again. We find out that Jarvis is alive. Uh, he'll be okay. <laughs> he just scrambled his brains a little bit. Uh, but Black Widow, of course, got taken prisoner. And this is going to lead to another complaint that, you know, pe- people trying to be politically correct without applying logic. That, well, Black Widow's just a damsel in distress in this movie. Um, do you have any opinions on Black Widow? Well, let's just... We've run into this a lot lately now that we're getting you and Mallory on episodes. We get so many, not we personally, but like the world hears so many opinions of this is chauvinistic, this movie is sexist, this is this, this was wrong. Like I talked about how I heard people saying it's disgusting that in a movie they had the Wonder Woman basically want to sleep with the guy as soon as she's on the boat. And I'm like, did you watch Wonder Woman? He's misunderstood. She's saying sleep with as in sleep next to because there's only one spot here and you don't have to sit up and there were people who were actually saying well that was sexist and chauvinistic this movie's not feminist we're kind of living in this world where people are trying so hard to be politically correct that they're almost overcompensating and since we've gotten you and Mallory on these episodes there's a lot of things where Ben or I bring up where it's like people have an, uh, an issue with this and you guys are like no I didn't get that at all do you have any perspective on how the Black Widow is handled in here as a damsel in distress, where she's the one who's taken captive, which is the traditional role in these movies. The woman gets taken captive, so they have to save her, and then the guys come in to save her. Any uh, any perspective on that? Well, you see, okay, here. I'm gonna have my argument after this, but I'll let you have your piece. I I don't know. You know, when I was watching this movie, I honestly didn't even really think about it that way. Um, I didn't take it that way. I think just these days in society, people are just looking for anything to be offended at. Yeah. Um, they, they try to pick at anything and tear it apart to where it's clear what the meaning behind it was supposed to be. And they turn it into something else just because they actually want to be offended by something. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Black Widow... Um, I mean, they were trying to be creative with whatever options they could do because she was pregnant. And unfortunately, exactly. I mean, uh, a lot of people, <clears throat> you know, if they didn't know that fact, you know, sure, they may misinterpret things. But, you know, honestly, like I, the other token, though, like on, on the other spectrum, why is it these days a lot of the time people think that, you know, unless a woman is basically showing how much superior she is than a man... Like, she's stronger than a man, she's faster than a man, she's smarter than a man, everything more than a man, because, you know, men are trash or or just, you know, this lower level, we're so much better than them, that that's, you know, the only way to make a woman strong. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of what I see in a lot of movies where they're really trying to push that. And I just think to myself, well, why don't you just let the characters be who they are? Why does it have to be a man-woman thing? Yeah, and... There's a lot of things you said there, which are the same opinions that 
I've been thinking, and I want to get your. Well, we haven't discussed this at all. There's a reason you married me. Yeah, you're smart, <laughs> but um, but a she was pregnant. You're not going to have her. You know, you have to find ways to take her out of the action for a bit, and also find ways to put her in shots. People think it's just that simple. You don't want to waste all this money on a digital effect to put Scarlett Johansson's head on a stunt woman's body. You're saving those types of effect shots for when you need it in the action scenes. So you need to find scenes where she could be hidden behind something, like a bar, like a prison cell. So chances are they were looking for these shots where they could do it and it wasn't so obvious, like where everybody's gathered around discussing what's our plan and she just, for whatever reason, is crouched behind a counter. You know, that doesn't make any sense. So A, you put her here, you take her out of the movie for a bit, um, you also hide the fact that she's pregnant, but I want to talk about even just story-wise why this makes sense, because Joss Whedon got so much heat for this. Uh, all of these things, oh, well, she's pigeonholed into this love story, and you know her only role, people say her only role is to talk the Hulk down. That's the biggest role of the movie, I'm sorry. Uh, it literally is, and we'll cover that on the end. Uh, and... Here, oh, she's the one taken prisoner, and they have to save her. First of all, what you said about you don't have to go so over the top with women being superior to men, or or even and equal. It, and it's even the other way around. You know, all these things where you have to reinforce how manly someone is. Yeah, exactly. All sorts of things like, why does that even matter? Like, yeah, yeah. Perfect example. You know, we get that, that was sort of coming out of like the Steven Seagal movies of the '90s and everything. You know. Uh, and that was one of the complaints I had. One of the things I will agree with, when people complain about Jurassic World with Bryce Dallas Howard being in heels for it, I'm like, that's no big deal at all. That makes her look cooler. I'm not talking about the physical look. I'm talking about if she's doing these action scenes in she's, heels. She's pretty odd. She's all right. Yeah. Um, but she's pretty if good she's, looking. If she's doing these action scenes in heels, that makes her look stronger. I don't care what you say. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's you know, chauvinistic. She's in heels. The thing that I didn't like was that they all, and people did have complaints about this, and I'm not going to go as far as to, you know, heap on Colin Trevorrow the way people did when that movie came out, which is the same thing that happened with Joss Whedon. Coincidentally, two movies coming out around the same time that people were just piling on the directors looking for anything to complain about. But the fact is, in that movie, they went over the top trying to make Chris Pratt masculine. And I've complained about this to you before. There's a lot of Chris Pratt always having to talk above her and stuff like that. And it's not the way he treats her in the movie. But it's the other things, like, why is it every time Chris Pratt in Jurassic World, we're going to talk about this in Jurassic Park, Park Month, you're going to hear this again, every time in Jurassic World where Chris Pratt's doing something, you have somebody talking about how amazing it is. Your boyfriend's amazing. This guy's fantastic. This guy's crazy. And it's over the, that's what you're talking about too. It's over the top trying to sell the masculinity of it. And I thought that they did a terrible job with that in uh, Jurassic World. Well, I see that even in the wrestling shows or whatever that you watch sometimes where they're just trying to shove someone down your throat and it's like, why not just let it be natural if people like them and they like them and if they don't, then they don't. Because <laughs> Colin's a wrestling buff. Yeah. I okay. have to watch that all the time. I had to watch it even just this afternoon wrestling. Yeah. You're which, which I was playing, you know, Pokemon kind of during while you were yeah, I love how you but... always claim that I make you watch things as you're very content playing video games. Yeah. But anyways... So going back to Black Widow as the prisoner here, and we're going longer on this episode and episode because, as we've discovered on this network, the more we dislike something, the more we have to say, which is why Titanic is a five-hour episode. But she's taken prisoner. Story-wise, this is why it makes sense. And take everything else out of it and talk about how why this was the best thing for the story. 
I want you to count all the Avengers for me, and I want you to include Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch for me. Count them out for me, and tell me what their power is. Well, there's Hulk. What's his power? That he can basically turn into this superhuman beast. Okay, so if you took him prisoner, what do you do with that? He's going to break out of the prison, right? Yeah, he wouldn't okay, be able to. name me another one. Thor. What's his power? He's the god of lightning. Okay. But he has super strength, too. He's going to break out of a prison. Yeah. Who else? There's that uh, Hawkeye. The hot guy or hawk guy? Hawk, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. You can never tell with you. Okay, hawk. what's his power? Uh, basically can shoot arrows That's not a very power. precisely, but he's not a You take away hero. his bow and arrow and what is he? He's a guy. Yeah. Iron Man. Iron Man. What's his power? His suit. His suit. Okay, so you could say you take away his suit, but we've seen in these movies, you take away his suit, he can summon another suit just by snapping his fingers. There's no way you're holding him in a prison. And then there's Captain America. What's his power? Um, that he's everything super. Yeah, he's super, bending the bars of that cage. Super strong, super fast. You needed... Super hot. <laughs> you knew that was... Scarlet that. Witch, Quicksilver. Yeah, fast, and then mind powers, telekinesis. We've already established she can even get into uh, the mind of Ultron... None of these characters can be imprisoned except for Hawkeye or Black Widow. Somebody has to be captured in this movie for the Avengers to need to go in. Yeah. So you have two choices here. Now, is your choice going to be, A, the one who's pregnant and you need her taken out of the action as much as possible in this movie, or Jeremy Renner? But they probably wouldn't do Jeremy Renner anyways because they want to make it up. Exactly. That's even more so than if they did want to say, well... Who cares if she's pregnant? You know, we can we can write around that. We can shoot around that. Jeremy Renner was basically taken prisoner the entire first movie. You're yeah. not going to repeat it. Yeah. So logically, story-wise, the only thing that makes sense to make this story work, and I'm not a fan of this story, but you have to do something here. The only thing that makes sense is for Black Widow to be the one who's taken prisoner. So people need to stop harping on Joss Whedon and saying, oh, this was chauvinistic. I mean, people have lightened up on that now. Maybe it's because they simply lost interest in the movie. But it, I just found it so annoying at the time that everybody was pointing these things out. And, like, logically, if you watch this movie, it is the only thing that makes sense. Um, but we're going to kind of get into the uh, climax here in a second. I know you love that word. No. But really quickly, let's just talk about um, when Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch come in. And Quicksilver, I'm just going to make fun of it. Every time Quicksilver does something in this movie, it is, like, the most boring thing Quicksilver can do. Brian Singer in X-Men had Quicksilver running in super slow-mo, pushing individual objects out of the way. Uh, he had him individually dumping people out of a building that was exploding in X-Men Apocalypse. Here, Quicksilver pulls the plug as Iron Man's trying to make the body for Vision. Which, again, doesn't make sense. Like Something they don't sell enough in this movie is... The fact that Iron Man and Banner are just so okay after seeing what happened with Ultron to say, let's just try it with Jarvis. It'll be okay. Well, they they kind of they kind of mentioned that in the movie. They're like, seriously, this is a bad idea. Like, didn't you learn from last time? Type of thing. Right. But if we go back to that first movie, I'm going to always reference that one great scene right before Loki's attack on the, the the helicarrier, where it was a nonstop. It was like a five minute long argument. But you got everything you needed in that argument. It wasn't just that it was shot beautifully. It wasn't just that it was written beautifully. It wasn't just that it was acted beautifully. Beautifully. No, it's the fact that 
you got everything you needed in a long movie you put so much of what the character's motives were in that here is just loosely mentioned like you said it's a line yeah they needed this to be bigger they are creating a second artificial that's gonna actually have the mind stone in it now this is one of the infinity stones like you probably don't know much about the infinity stones right well i know that that purple guy wants to wear them on a ring or something thanos yeah which was like Thor's vision we saw um the 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 glove or whatever I think it was. Is he is he Barney's uncle? No, he's not Barney's uncle. <laughs> but the Infinity <laughs> you Stones get, this do you is, get it cuz he's purple. Yeah, this is what's driven all of the movies up until this point. Um and we saw I guess the first stone was inside the Tesseract and I'm going to mix up I'm probably going to mix up what all these are um for which stones they coincide with. But there's the Tesseract. Uh, there's the Mind Stone, which was in Loki's Scepter, which is why we saw the Mind Control. There's the Reality Stone, which was the Aether, which came in in both Thor the Dark World and Iron Man 3. Um, there's the... Which one is it? The Time Stone, which we see in um, Doctor Strange coming up. Guardians of the Galaxy had had one. I can't remember which stone it was. Um, maybe that one's the Reality Stone. I don't, I don't remember. Like I said, I don't remember which one coincides with which one. But... The one from Guardians of the Galaxy, okay? Mm-hmm. That's four stones we're seeing at this point because the Doctor Strange one has come in and the sixth one has yet to be revealed. How many stones does Thor tell them uh, are already out there? Mm. I'm trying four. to remember it out. Oh, yeah, that's what he said, yeah. In the movies, we've seen four stones. Mm-hmm. How many of those has Thor been witness to? Three. Yeah. Because Guardians of the Galaxy came out after this, had nothing to do with this universe. They left them completely disconnected until we see Thor meet up with them at the end of Ragnarok. Well, he's he's a god, though. No, but, but here's here's my point. There is apparently a deleted scene where, as part of Thor's vision, he finds out that the Guardians got this, and he he knows about that. Okay. But in the context of this movie, Thor should not know about this fourth zone. Like, he should know the stones exist, but he shouldn't know that, you know, these are out there or whatever. It's just, again, sloppy. If you're going to cut a scene, don't have him mention a cut scene in the movie. Anyways, we get to see Quicksilver pull the plug. Isn't that exciting? Um, And finally here we get the creation of Vision. So you want to talk about Vision here. Before I go on to my opinion on this, you tell me what you think about the creation of Vision here. The look of Vision and Vision as a character. I found it pretty entertaining, um, again, with them making him, um, with uh, the the character look. Um, again, I don't know, it just looks kind of funny to me, but I'm not a comic it, book yeah, fan. Yeah. But, you know, for the, for the thing, the question that I had to you was, how come, uh, oh, pardon me, how come the Vision um, can lift his hammer? Yeah. Um, well, that, that's coming at the end of the scene here. Uh, anything else you want to talk about about the vision as a kid? Like, how do you feel the vision comes across in this movie aside from his look? Well, Paul, Paul Bettany's pretty hot. Um. <laughs> See, there's another one. He's another one like James Spader, where it's like, in no world does anybody just look at a picture of this guy and like, wow, what an attractive man. Well, he was pretty but, hot in The Night's Tale, especially when he was like running naked. But he had he had like no body whatsoever. I mean, my, my, my point is, is that... Paul Bettany and James Spader, these guys get by completely on their charisma and their voice. 
because there's nothing physically attractive about these men. But it's just funny he's another one of those guys, right? Um, but I don't know. The, the Vision, I have complaints about this and things I loved. I said I walked out of this movie loving The Vision. Now, after watching Civil War and having not rewatched this in three years, I was second-guessing whether I would watch this movie and be like, I don't know why I like The Vision so much out of this. But I love what they do with The Vision here because – those complaints I had about how these Iron Man one-liners often take you out of the movie and it, it strips the movie of its drama where maybe the characters should be taking things more seriously than they are. Vision brings that drama in this movie. The speech he has where he's created, all of his dialogue is absolutely incredible. Um, every time he talks in this movie, you're just glued to him and he really just has this, this elegance and this intensity that so many other characters are lacking in this movie. And... Yet when he just, he talks and talks and talks, and then you see him pick up the hammer, like you said. Now, the funny thing is, when I saw this in the theater the first time, it basically got the biggest laugh of the whole movie. And I think it's it, it's kind of intended that way, but when I rewatch it now and I know it's coming, I don't think it's so much funny. I actually just see that makes sense, and it sells him as in, this guy's the real deal. You need to take him seriously. Because let's be honest, if you look at him, he looks dopey. Yeah. I agree. Uh, especially compared to the other characters. We mentioned the first episode about how the reason John Favreau didn't want to direct the Avengers uh, movie was because he didn't understand how, at least in his mind, he could jump from the realism of Iron Man and even Incredible Hulk into the God of Thunder. And I can't imagine now anybody thought they could do the vision here. The only reason this works is because of Paul Bettany's performance. Because there's no reason it works even the story. I have so many complaints about how... They throw the vision here so late, they give you no proper buildup. Unless you're paying like super close attention, you don't even understand that this is the body that Ultron has created and that they do such a lazy job explaining how Jarvis is still alive and they say for some reason Jarvis was a, or Ultron was afraid of Jarvis and all this. And uh, the fact is when Thor comes in and he uses his hammer after Quicksilver pulls the plug to bring life to it, you know that's because he saw what this could do. And, okay, well, the Mind Stone can be used for good. Um, why Vision could pick up the hammer? I, when I saw it, I just thought it was a joke. They're really selling, oh, that's a hilarious way to sell, like, the Vision's the real deal. But because Thor actually did bring him to life, it kind of makes sense. And I guess the whole idea is that only if you're worthy can you pick up the hammer, right? Mm -hmm. This also does work in the movie because rewatching it a second time, there's something else that was not properly explained throughout the course of this movie, or not, I'm not going to say not properly explained, but something that they could have done a much, they could have gone further with, just like so many of those other things I mentioned, where like this was a really interesting line or idea that they did not explore nearly as much as they could have, is the idea that why should we trust the Vision? He's no different than Ultron. Like, even he has that debate. And it's like, I, I'm not Ultron. It's like, I am of Ultron. I'm not Ultron, though. And there's no reason they should trust him after what they've seen let alone why they should have created him in the first place. But and then you add to the fact that the, one of the Infinity Stones is powering him. Why should we trust him to basically keep this Infinity Stone, right? Mm -hmm. The reason is because he can pick up the hammer. That I never got that. I just thought that's a hilarious moment when I first saw this. But rewatching a second time, I can appreciate how much that moment sold. The Vision is a hero. You're going to have to trust him. Not just the characters, but even the audience. You're like, this guy is a real serious superhero because he the hammer will only allow somebody to pick it up if the, the person's worthy so that's the only way i think that you could really sell that he's the right guy for this you know i actually didn't even think about it that way this proves how smart i am too mm 
Um, so we're getting into the climax here. A lot of this is just going to be grouped together. Just give me your overall impression of the climax. Well, not individual moments, but how do you think this one compares to the first Avengers movie before we just get into the, the final battle scene? Mm, I, I don't know. I, I didn't want to spend too, too much time on it, but just thinking that there were some things towards the end here specifically that were funny, some things that were clever, and some things that just didn't make any sense at all. Uh, well, you want to give quick examples and then we'll discuss them as they come up? Um, well, the one thing it, that I thought was funny was when Quicksilver was trying to evacuate the city and oh. nobody's even listening to him. And then he shoots up a gun and, uh, he's, uh, telling them to listen. And then they finally listen. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Again, like some of these humor things. Yeah, it's, it's okay. But my complaint is that we're coming off of Days of Future Past or, or I, I, had Days of Future Past come out at this point? I think it had, yeah. Days of Future Past was first. So we've seen a really good version of Quicksilver. And here we get him pulling the plug on a machine. And how does he use his speed in the climax? He runs around and tells people, run away, get out. And uh, one thing that doesn't really make any sense at all, I don't even know if you caught this, was I, I put why did Scarlet Witch use her powers, like her telekinetic powers, mm -hmm. to throw up, to, to pick up a rock to throw at this robot to destroy it, when in the next shot she actually destroys it with her power alone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, why are you bothering to pick up a rock? Yeah. No, I mean, there's some, a lot of things that don't work here. I just, again, find it funny how Quicksilver gets the least interesting things that they could possibly do with Quicksilver. Uh, this was not an issue of... You know, this studio had the rights, this studio had the rights. I am so glad that we get a good version of Quicksilver in the X-Men movies, regardless of what people's opinions are about, uh, you know, whether Marvel should have the rights to everything, which I've already said, I don't think they should have the rights to everything, because you need that competition. You also need universes to be separate. I do not want to see the X-Men in an Avengers universe. It's too much. We already have some, like, 67 characters appearing in the Infinity War. But just the fact that the only thing they can come up with for Quicksilver to do is to run into buildings and tell people, move. I, I just think that's lame. It's lame for Quicksilver. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess the first half of this is just all battle stuff. There's some some good things in here. So uh, Banner coming in to rescue Black Widow. And again, this isn't a rescue operation. He comes in there and he just breaks her out of the prison. And then it's go free. And this is another thing when people are like, well, she's taken prisoner. She's not a damsel in distress. Now... The number one, I'm not even going to say defense, because I wasn't even aware of all the arguments that were out there before this movie came out, but the way I describe the Hulk coming out of this movie, and this goes completely against what people's complaints are about Black Widow in this movie, when I described what the Hulk was in this movie, I said the Hulk is the damsel in distress. And I still firmly stand behind that. The damsel in distress in this movie is the Incredible Hulk. He's the one who always needs saving, if you actually think about it. Black Widow's job is calm him down. And as I said, that's the most important job somebody can have on this team because what's going to happen otherwise? You He's don't have gonna that. just going to be out of control. Yeah. And that's why Betty Ross was so important in the other Incredible Hulk movies. You need that person to calm down. It's an important role to have. But even just put aside how important that role is, he's the one who needs saving this movie. He's the one who doesn't want to be there. You know, he even proposes to her here. He actually wants to run away. He's hiding the ship the whole time. And he says, you know, we don't need any of this. We can go home. And 
she, they have that moment where she kisses him or whatever, and she's like, all right. And then she shoves him off the cliff, <laughs> which that's a cool moment. Um, I, I did like that one too, where she, she's like, sorry, I need the other guy right now. Yeah. But he even said before that, he's like, I can't be, in, if this goes into a battle, I can't be near civilians. And he's realizing the severity of things that like the last time it's like, well, I went too far as the Hulk. I don't have control over this or not as much control as he thinks he has. And he needs saving. He is the damsel in distress of this movie, not Black Widow. The Incredible Hulk is the damsel in distress. She shoves him off the cliff, which is a great moment, which of course leads to another thing that doesn't make a lot of sense logically if you think about it. If basically he turns into Hulk because he gets angry, when he pops back up out of that clip, why does he take her orders? Yeah, because from his perspective, he didn't hear her say, I need the other guy. She just kissed him and shoved him off a cliff. Now from his perspective... Not knowing what she said after he fell off the cliff, he's like, "This girl just tried to kill me." Like, it, I'm married to you, not just somebody that I just hooked up with, uh, like he did with Black Widow. If you, if I'm like, "Hey, we got to get out of here. A big battle's about to happen," and then you kiss me and you shove me off a cliff, if I survive that, I'm coming up. I'm like, "This woman just tried to murder me. Like, divorce right now." <laughs> uh, and somebody stopped me from throwing her off the cliff <laughs> because, from his perspective, she just tried to kill him, and it. it Clearly, it made him angry, so I don't know why he just responds so positively to but this. But did, did it make him angry, though, or just because of the stress with falling in the air? Like, being so scared and falling and stuff like that, that made him turn to the Hulk. Well, he would know he'd survive. Oh, because, because we've already established earlier that even with him or whatever, you know, trying to get on with yeah. somebody that he would like Hulk out. Well, that was and, and that's Liv not, Tyler too. But so. that's, but, yeah, I know you think she's hot too. No, that's not what I'm getting at. But anyways. even though you do, anyways, but, I but, have a point to this, but he's not angry when he's trying to get on with somebody, but he also turned to the Hulk. It's, it's his body right. under stress. Okay. But again, if we're following continuity and I'm not just nitpicking everything. Some of these things that we bring up is not nitpicking saying this was a mistake or not like those types of fanboys who are just like, this is so stupid. It's just, let's think about it logically and realize how funny it is that this doesn't make sense. The way this character was, how did he break Harlem? If you remember the Incredible Hulk movie, he says, I need to turn into the Hulk to stop abomination. And he throws himself out of an airplane to the ground, assuming the terror of falling will turn me into the Hulk. And what happens the shot follows him, and he's trying to turn, and all of a sudden, he has this look on his face like, uh-oh, that didn't work. And Bruce Banner crashes into the ground. So, we've already showed mm-hmm. continuity-wise in these movies, the fear of falling does nothing to him. He actually thought at that point, he had never done it before, he's like, I'm going to turn to the Hulk or I'm going to die. <laughs> Here, he knows that's not going to happen. So, if he turned to the Hulk, it was because, this girl just shoved me off a cliff. <laughs> that's just talking realism here. Um, <clears throat> Vision gets his Ultron fight. I like when Tony Stark comes in here, and some of these lines are funny, but also, again, it takes you out of the seriousness of the moment. And they correct this in Civil War, where the progression of Tony Stark is he gets more serious as the movie goes on. They needed that here. Because when he comes in and he sees Ultron, he says, have you been juicing some type of, like, vibranium cocktail? Like, again, it's a funny line, but all the characters, the only reason a climax like this is ever going to work is if all the characters approach it as, this is serious business. And he doesn't, which is why Iron Man is too much in these movies. Vision and Ultron have their fight here. I think the problem with this is that we've been introduced to Ultron, which takes a lot of explanation, and they didn't have time to explain all that. When you throw Vision in at the last minute, as much as I like what Paul Bettany does here with Vision, and what Vision does to bring, I guess, the intensity back to this movie... It's all too much too soon, and you don't understand what's going on, and 
it is that jump that John Favreau was talking about all the way back when they announced the Avengers movie of, I don't know how to get from here to here with the God of Thunder standing next to Iron Man. I don't think that this movie took enough time to really explain it. So unless you are literally just going into this saying, I'm just going to enjoy it for the action, the story gives you nothing because you don't have time to dwell on any of this. It, it was funny, though, that line that they had when they were fighting each other where Ultron's like, you're unbearably naive. And then yeah. he's like, well, I was born yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I think Vision's the one who said that line. Yeah, that's at the end of the movie, yeah. Um, so the city starts levitating here. Again, they they took a long time to figure out, hey, we could levitate a trailer, but they can levitate a whole city here. Uh, and this is why this movie's excused from destruction of a city, because... We got everybody out of the city is their one excuse, which, again, logically makes no sense because they took six minutes to evacuate a whole city. And B, it's a city that's fictional. It's not a real city. It's like that African village. doesn't matter if we destroyed everything, you know? It's not a real city. It's not New York City, people. Um, this is the point in the movie. We're watching it the second time. It just dwelled on me. Everything that's happening is all their fault. Yeah. This is all caused because Tony Stark and Bruce Banner said, let's play God. Yeah. But they never sold the seriousness of that at any point during this movie, other than just a few throwaway lines. Well, then he he knew obviously that it was a bad idea because he didn't want to run it past the team. They even established that. Yeah. Earlier. And again, I'm not the biggest Civil War fan. Like I have more complaints about Civil War than most people do. But I'm enough of a Civil War fan to realize that there's a lot of things they fixed in that. I really wish that had just been Avengers Civil War. Because they fix so many things, like the Iron Man character not being so over the top and you know cramming him down your throat, but also really correcting the severity of what happened in this movie. And I'm not going to say this is Marvel's plan all along. I don't buy that this was all their plan. That's basically to say, well, it was their plan when they destroyed New York City to have audiences really reject mass city destructions. Because it was their plan all along to do this of a small fictional city and the second one just levitating in the air and being evacuated. Marvel is, as every franchise does, as DC does, as Star Wars does, they're correcting as they get criticism for certain things. Not criticism from a handful of fanboys, but criticism from, like, the masses, where it's like, yeah, I like the movie, but this just doesn't work. Um, the fact is, in this movie, the Avengers, not even the Avengers, two guys caused everything, and they never sell the severity of that in this movie. They never properly establish it. The only reason that we even see consequences for this is because they did such a good job of Civil War years later. So I don't think that, or it was actually only a little over a year later, but still, I, I honestly don't think that they were thinking when they made this movie. I think that Joss Whedon, and jo we'll talk quickly on the end about Joss Whedon's um, displeasure with working with Marvel on this movie, which had him walk away from Marvel, but I honestly think that this movie was rushed and they didn't have enough time and that if they had had an extra year maybe... Joss Whedon could have really made this work, but the movie just doesn't work. Uh, there's some good stuff in here, though, especially in the Ultron Vision fight, which they cut back to every once in a while. This is the only fight that really makes sense. Uh, when the city um, is levitating, and now we get Hawkeye, and this is why Hawkeye works so well in this movie. This is the moment that Captain America had in the first one, where he uh, rallied the troops and gave that big speech. When he's in there with Scarlet Witch, and she's like, I, this is all my fault. Well, no, actually, it's Tony Stark and Bruce Banner's fault. I don't know why they spend so much... This is why I say it was a mistake that they probably didn't even think about at the time. Because they spend so much time selling to you here. He doesn't even say, it's not your fault. It was Tony's fault. She's like, this is all my fault. And he's like, maybe. But, <laughs> it's okay. But the line he has 
here where he's like, first of all, it's really funny, but it also has the seriousness we don't get with the Tony Stark lines. Where it's like, the city's flying. We're fighting an army of robots. I have a bow and arrow. <laughs> he's basically saying, listen, you step outside that door, you are an Avenger. That's maybe the best line of the movie. I know it's corny. I know it's a comical line, but that's a great line. It is corny, but I mean, if you're a comic book fan, I guess that you'd like it. And this is what gives us Scarlet Witch. Now, when you said she's your favorite character of the movie, were you loving her up until this point? Or is it when she makes her turn here and comes out as the hero Scarlet Witch that you loved her? I don't even think it's really a lot for her. Just the character and the powers that they have and stuff. The that accent. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that awesome Russian accent. <laughs> but, Russian-American accent. But for the character, they do such a good job of really setting her up here. To have that hero moment. And when she comes out, like, there's moments in this movie where I'm like, that looks great. When she comes out and everybody else is doing the fighting and she joins the battle and Hawkeye kind of looks at her and he's like, hey, I won one over. And she's doing that slow-mo, like, blasting people with her powers. Like, that's an iconic shot. It looks incredible. That was very cool. Yeah. And we don't see a lot of her in the climax here other than this. Uh, we see more for the movie Quicksilver. Stop saying that word. It's the proper term for the final section of a movie, the, the, the climax of the movie. What do you want me to call it? The finale. But a finale is the final scene. The finale oh. would be how it ends, not... Anyways, this Whatever. Is the, the biggest point of the movie is the climax. Um, so there's another funny moment here, which did you catch the part where Captain America's trying to pull the car up? Which I like that. The car's falling off the edge of the city, and he's pulling it up, and then he lets go of it? No, I, I must have missed oh. it again. Okay, so Captain America, and again, this is one of these funny moments where I'm not criticizing for criticizing him, but why don't you actually stop and think about how stupid this is in a funny way? He's barely holding on this car that's falling off the edge of the city now hundreds of feet up, and he loses grip, and the car starts to fall, and it's like, no! Thor comes in with his hammer, flies after the car, Pulls this one woman who is screaming the car out of the car. Saves her as it crashes to the ground. Watch the movie. As he's doing this, you hear dozens of people falling to the ground around her, screaming as they're about to die. We just saved this one woman. And at the very moment, they have people... Falling past him in vision of the shot. So we need to save this one woman that Captain America dropped. It's so I, stupid. Yeah, again, must have been, you know, doing something with Casper or something when that came up. Um, Nick Fury shows up to save the day with the helicarrier. Again, when they have these moments where they really dwell on something, they, they let the shot build and the music build. It really works. We get that, that great music from the first movie. This is their rescue operation. They send all these ships out to evacuate the city in approximately six minutes, thousands of people. Uh, but still, they get them out. Uh, when Quicksilver is like, this is S.H.I.E.L.D.? And he goes, this is what they're supposed to be. Like, I love that line too. But then Quicksilver has to ruin it and says, I could live with that or something like that. And he's like, I'm okay with that. That's cool. Shut up, Quicksilver. <laughs> there wasn't much to his character in this movie. He was so much cooler in X-Men. I know it was a different character, uh, you know, but, not with a different actor, but just so much cooler. With a better director, too, Brian Singer. It's not I, politically correct I, to say that anymore, but... I think that, uh... I think that he probably is the worst character in Ever? Movie. In the, the Marvel Universe, maybe? I'm just saying, in this movie. Yeah, well, he definitely is, because he dies and nobody cares, which is part of the joke now. But... 
what else can I even say on Quicksilver? Okay, so I, I did, totally didn't even mean this for this to be funny, but he died. Yes, <laughs> that's gonna be so great at the end. Hold on. Um, so I, I actually legit didn't even. Notice. All right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so Quicksilver officially has more screen time in this movie than he does in Days of Future Past. That shows you how much of a better job they did with Quicksilver. I believe, I wouldn't actually have the full numbers on this, but I believe if you add up the amount of screen time that Quicksilver has in Days of Future Past and X-Men Apocalypse, it probably still is less than the screen time that Quicksilver has in this movie. That shows you what a bad job they did with this character. Uh, do you remember the moment where they were firing, the friendlies were firing the bullets, like the, the soldiers were firing the bullets and they accidentally shot him? And he just sort of gives this dismissive look oh, on him. Come on, you jerks. I remember, yeah. yeah he doesn't die there. Just so you know, that's not where he dies. Oh. <laughs> I did watch that. Yeah. Um, we get Ultron. They cut, like, for the main villain of this movie that they did a good job with, why does Ultron have almost no part in this climax? They spend the entire time having the Avengers fight these faceless robots. And this is the biggest problem with this climax of this movie. When they fight them, they don't just, hey, I'm having a battle with an Ultron robot. Every single Avenger is tearing them apart in one shot. Hawkeye, one arrow, rips apart a robot. Hawkeye, another arrow, rips apart a robot. Black Widow, one kick, rips apart a robot. Black Widow, one punch, rips apart a robot. Captain America, shield shot, rips apart six robots. It's not even a fight. It's just endless shots of the Avengers killing robots with one hand. Meanwhile, Ultron is involved in a massive fight with a Vision and then a fight with Thor and they barely show these things and they cut back to it after like five minutes. I'm like, just stick with Ultron. It's just such a mistake the way they did this movie. I mean, there are so many little mistakes here and I believe all of this would have been corrected if they'd given themselves more time to work on this movie because the ideas are good. It's just this movie was in desperate need of a rewrite it was in desperate need of you know maybe a, a, a little bit less junk crammed in here and it was in desperate need of an editor too and before we get to quicksilver's death do you remember what i mentioned about the, the tease they had when they first announced this movie after the first avengers movie ended about the deaths of characters um i remember something about that maybe <laughs> you could tell me about that um I'll tell you again. The listeners remember, and they listened to this last week. Uh, so they had promised, I don't remember who it was, but somebody Marvel was saying when they had finished the first Avengers movie and they announced, oh, we're going to have this movie, then we're going to do the next phase, and we're going to do Infinity War. And they said, we're promising that not all these characters are going to survive to the Infinity War. And they made that. it as a major tease. And at the time, everybody was speculating. It's like, well, they're probably going to kill Captain America or they're probably going to kill the Hulk or something like that because they, the whole rights thing with Universal they didn't want to share. Um, but in the end, what we get is we just get Quicksilver. But even in this movie, they're teasing because I think they'd made such a big deal about that that they spent so much of this climax here teasing the deaths of everybody saying, well, I guess this is a good way to go out. You know, oh, this is a noble way to end. And everybody's saying that in this movie. And in the end, what happens? Quicksilver dies, blocking bullets. I don't even remember who he saved. That's how blinking you miss that this is. I didn't even remember he died. They were firing bullets on somebody. I don't even remember who it was. And he blocks it. And he takes all the shots. But it's so funny you said you don't remember he died. Because that's one of the common complaints this movie has. That Quicksilver's death is done so sloppily. That it's like, Quicksilver died? A, nobody cared that Quicksilver died. Well, and B... And isn't he so fast that he would just be able to actually knock well, these no, bullets out? Well, no, he was doing it to block the bullets because they were firing on somebody else. Again, I don't even remember who it was, and I finished this movie, you know, what, what like 
two hours ago or whatever. Um, and he runs in to block the bullets and he takes them for, he basically takes a bullet for somebody. I know. It may have been Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye, who knows. I'm saying in the X-Men movies though, he literally can like move the bullet out of the way. Exactly. You could have done some of that, but of course, I honestly believe that when they put these characters in the movie, they're like, we've already teased somebody's going to die. Disney got in their ear and Disney's like, we don't want people dying in our movies. Kids see these movies. And they're like, well, we got to kill somebody. Kill the least important character. But just do it in a way where people don't realize he's dead. Because <laughs> that's what Quicksilver's death is. I, I honestly think that by the time they'd made this movie, they're like, listen, we've got to kill Quicksilver, and we've got to make sure that people aren't going to cry if we kill Quicksilver. Um, you and I are both fans of The Last Airbender. Uh, the, not the movie, the TV show, Avatar yeah. The Last Airbender. Yeah. You remember the character of Jet? Yeah. And there's this character named Jet, and in season two, uh, Jet dies. But because it was a kid's show, Nickelodeon put so many restrictions on them, where the, the the creators of the show basically said, listen, we weren't allowed to show him actually die. We had to sort of show him there starting to get unconscious and then just sort of drop it after that. And so many fans of Avatar The Last Airbender were like, Jet, does, is Jet supposed to be dead? Does he even die? It doesn't happen properly on screen. It's the exact same with Quicksilver's death. And in Avatar The Last Airbender, in the third season, they had an episode where they all were watching a play that a production was putting on of their own adventures and they have the Jet death happen on stage, and the character's like, I don't understand what happened. Was Did Jet actually die there? Like, you know, it wasn't very clear. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that the play <coughs> that they did, yeah. Yeah, and that's the way the Quicksilver death is here. It's like, it's not really clear what happened. And that's so funny that you watch this. Did Quicksilver die? Well, because I remember him getting like shot at like that, and I'm just like, uh, he's really hurt. But I thought, oh, they can for sure just heal him like they did with Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, we have to end on the big moment here with Ultron's death, which again logically makes no sense because we have seen him take so many forms and so many robots. It, it's not even that he needs to basically put his consciousness in another one of his robots. The guy is, they said in the movie, he is in the internet. Yeah. He he's, could go anywhere. He's hes anything, anywhere. But we get, well, we always have to have that one great shot of the Hulk ripping something out of the sky. So he jumps up into the airplane, grabs Ultron out of the airplane, flings him down to the ground hundreds of feet below and then he gets the battle with the Scarlet Witch and the Scarlet Witch rips his heart out to end the movie why does that work? I don't know it doesn't I don't know how many times I've said these words it doesn't make any sense they just don't explain it like the last thing that we were talking about this is as easy as it was how come the Vision didn't rip out his heart? how come Iron Man didn't? how come the Hulk didn't? Scarlet Witch just rips out his heart I don't know, because she has the telekinetic powers to actually do it from the inside without even touching him. You, everybody else could... They have been ripping the Ultron's body apart. Every single body Ultron's had, they've been ripping it apart and killing him. Why can? Why is it now this one heart? I'm sure the movie has an explanation for this, but it maybe, is so maybe lazy. Maybe he'll be back in the next movie. Well, he's not. We already know that. But <laughs> I'm just being funny. This movie is so terribly written, so terribly executed, that none of these things are clear. It is the sloppiest filmmaking. I'm going to go on record. I don't care what people say. People complain about Batman versus Superman, Justice League, and stuff like that. Like, get over yourself. This movie makes no sense. And it is so sloppy, and it is so bad. Yeah, no, no, no. This movie is way worse than those. I, I, I will say that. But like, you started off, but I'm, I'm interested no, to see I'm, where your I'm, review I'm goes just, on the I'm end. saying I like it better than the first one, which I do, but all of the other DC mo- movies, I like them way more. Yeah, okay. 
I'm glad you said that because now that's almost everybody on this podcast has said the DC movies deserve more credit. The Marvel movies. They're way better. The Marvel movies don't deserve less credit. I like movies, but just because they've had so many of them, you're if DC had made 19 movies, there'd be a handful of bad ones in there. This is one of the handful of bad ones. It's just, it bothers me that people don't admit this is a bad movie. Um, we have to have Stark lift the city here. So he has to get the hero moment. Um, Hey, did you actually notice that in this climax, Tony Stark does absolutely nothing but fly around and occasionally talk to people until he lifts the city? Yeah. He's doing nothing the whole climax. He's just flying around. He's not even there. But of course, he has the hero moment. He lifts the city. Thor brings lightning down. That destroys everything. The city drifts back to the ground or whatever. Um, Vision flies out the Scarlet Witch before it all explodes. Uh, so there's a really cool moment where you think now Scarlet Witch is going to die as well. You know, she sacrificed herself, Quicksilver sacrificed himself. I remember thinking that even at the time. And when the Vision comes in and flies her out, I thought that was a great moment, just unexpected. I really wish it didn't lead to a Vision-Scarlet Witch love story in Civil War, which is the worst love story in the history of superhero movies. Uh, maybe I wouldn't go that far. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm sure there was the Daredevil Electra in the Daredevil movie was worse. But it's just I don't want to see the Vision and Scarlet Witch in a love story. Um and we have this last shot here, which has the Hulk and Black Widow on Skype. So we're going to get to the, like, the final scene in a minute in the post credit scene. But add anything else on this. Like, tell me, what do you actually think of this climax as a whole? I asked this on the beginning. Now we've gone through it and you probably remember it all. Uh, as a whole, this climax action-wise compared to the first one. Um, again, you're gonna hate me. I understand oh. that. I understand that some things didn't make sense, but some things, yeah. But there was just something about this movie that I didn't feel like it was as painful to watch. Look, we're getting the exact same thing. Instead of faceless Chitari, it's faceless Ultron robots. But as I said, in this one, the Ultron robots, every single time they're ripped apart with one shot, it's not exciting. We don't know what's happening in this climax. Ultron's barely featured in it. Iron Man's not even there. He's flying around, but then he has to have this ridiculous hero moment on the end where it's not really even needed if you pay attention to that. And nothing makes sense story-wise. The first one made sense. The battles with the Chitauri, sometimes they'd be brawling for you know a good 20, 30 seconds before they could actually beat one of these things. And everything made sense. And the villain had a presence there. I like the last line of the movie. Well, we'll get to that next. Um, I, I don't think this... I think this climax is okay, the action stuff's all right, but again, when you really pinpoint the problems here, it's just repetitive with nothing happening. Uh, the Hulk Black Widow moment, like, do you recognize where we we see that again after this, where he's um, on the plane? Yeah. Um, where I know that from in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's what I was gonna say. I've, they, I've seen it before. They explain that he was as the Hulk on this ship and he doesn't remember how he got to this planet or whatever in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. And they right, even see right. on the, the the message. She's trying to Skype with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's just watching this video and it cuts out and he comes back to the ship later on, which, again, I forgot that was in this movie. I figured when we saw Thor Ragnarok was in here, but it took me seeing this again to really remember that moment. So, again, I think Marvel does a good job of setting up things in future movies, but it is something you kind of have to rewatch to appreciate. You don't get it on first glance. Uh, I kind of prefer it where when we saw Thor Ragnarok, it's like, there's that really famous moment we all remember. Instead, it's like, oh, that must have been from Avengers Age of Ultron. Then we go back and watch Age of Ultron. Um, here's the finale of the movie, by the way. So the Hulk, by, by the way, the Hulk's just gone there. Uh, Vision and Ultron get their final showdown. 
again, I love the vision. I think that he's the only character that would have made this scene work dramatically, but this whole thing has been sold to the audience as Vision hates Iron Man more than all of you. He hates Tony Stark. We've never explained to you why he hates Tony Stark, but he hates him. They don't even face down in this climax, and they sold that all the way up until then. You mean you mean Ultron, not Vision. The Ultron, yeah. Why spend so much time talking about how Ultron and Iron Man hate each other and not have it come down to the two of them? I will, I will argue that the scene works better with Vision just dramatically because you don't have Tony Stark making wisecracks that just take all of the intensity out of the scene. But why did they bother setting something up that never actually happened at the end of the movie? Yeah, I never thought about that. That's actually a very smart point. Yeah, I like when Vision identifies Ultron as being afraid to... Ultron has this line where he says, you know, uh, like he's referring again to Iron Man, who do you want to see here? Uh, he asked for a savior and he settled for a slave. And it's just kind of a cool way to point out the differences between Vision and Ultron, even though I don't know how he gets Vision's a slave. But, you know, Ultron's whole motive here, uh, it's, it's, it's never really properly sold in the movie why he just wants to destroy the whole Earth. It's just a Bond villain plot. Um, but I like the final moment you have between these two characters. Uh, now we get to our very abrupt montage of what happens to all the characters. Clint goes home. Uh, he's on his farm. We get a shot of the new Avengers compound, so they're no longer in the building. They want to avoid civilian population, I guess. Iron Man and Captain America show up there. They're touring the compound. Um, you see Black Widow's there. You see that um, Nick Fury's there or whatever. And uh, you have like the final moment as Iron Man leaves. And you kind of get he's retiring from this. They're basically saying, like, as far as Black Widow, you know, she's seen the video. I guess, This is where she saw the video of the newborn baby of the pregnant wife. Yeah. But um, uh, they're talking about Banner and how, you know, well, there's a rumor that his plane, or we, we picked up a jet that crashed in an ocean somewhere. And this is why I say I honestly don't think they knew they were going to Thor Ragnarok when they wrote this. Because they say, well, the jet crashed. He probably crawled out and swam somewhere. We don't know for sure. Again, they're setting up Hulk's going to be gone for a while. So whenever we re-team, it's going to be having to find a way to bring all the characters back together because this team is basically dead. Um, and we get a tour of the new compound. We have uh, the um, uh, Black Widow ending here. This is what I wanted to mention. Who do you think has the most to do in this movie? It's probably Iron Man, right? Yeah. Next to Iron Man... The Hulk. I would argue Black Widow has a lot more in this. I would argue she probably has more screen time than anybody but Tony Stark in this movie. I definitely think she has more to do in this movie than anybody else. Mm. This is a major role for somebody who's pregnant. So like, let's, let's give Joss Whedon that credit. <laughs> uh, she had the biggest role in this movie, and she carries the weight of all the drama in this movie. Um, but the final moment here we have... Uh, well, I guess is the three characters. Thor's about to leave. Iron Man, Captain America, and him are talking. And uh, they have that joke. And this is one thing that I actually found interesting, where Captain America's just like, if the hammer's in an elevator and the elevator's rising, that means the I, elevator's I worthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like they had that one on there. This is where Thor talks about the fourth stone, by the way, which he wouldn't have known because <laughs> he hasn't seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and... You have the very final moment here where Black Widow and Captain America, you realize they're running the show now. This is the new Avengers they're creating, and they're, you don't know who it is. They're saying, like, you know, uh, they're good, but they're not a team. And uh, Captain America's like, oh, we'll make them a team or whatever. We get that shot where the new team comes in, and who is our new Avengers? 
Captain America. I didn't write it down. Well, Captain America. Everybody loves Captain America, right? Mm -hmm. We probably didn't care about Black Widow originally. Black Widow's cool now, right? Mm -hmm. And then we get the Falcon. (laughs) I like the Falcon, but he's not a major character. The Vision, Scarlet Witch, and War Machine. This isn't even the B team. This is the C team. This is a depressing way to end the movie. (laughs) Everybody's retiring. Tony Stark, I'm probably going to retire from being Iron Man. We know he doesn't, but let's think about 2015. Hulk, uh, he might be dead somewhere. He might be swimming ashore, starting a new life. Who knows? Thor, uh, he's gone back to Asgard. Captain America's still here. You got the Vision, Scarlet Witch, War Machine, Falcon, and Black Widow. This is like, I would argue it's a D-team for Marvel superheroes. This is a depressing way to end a movie. And it's so appropriate that this is the movie to end on. But, I like the final line of... Where he just says Avengers. You know he's about to say Avengers Assemble. And then they just cut it off with that, after Avengers. That was my question. Is it was going to be Avengers Assemble? Yeah. Uh, anything you want to add on the whole wrap of the characters here? Uh, the Hulk stuff. The Black Widow stuff. The new C-Team. Uh, I like this movie. Um, because I still found it entertaining. But I like this movie a lot more before you pointed out all the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I'm saying. Like... I'm not doing anything different than people have done with the other movies. Like I said, what people do with the DC movies. I understand the complaints people say about the DC movies. I would argue that there's a lot more wrong with this movie. But I'm not nitpicking for the sake of nitpicking. I'm saying there's a lot of stuff people ignore in this movie that is really... Not just it doesn't make sense. It's complete garbage. You know, In our post credit scene, we get that one shot of Thanos, which I'll also mention, where he picks up the glove. He's like, I'll do it myself or whatever, which... You know, it, they're they're really teasing him. They've done a good job setting him up. But um, let's do your final thoughts on this movie here, just to keep you awake. <laughs> um, overall impression of the whole movie, like lay it out. Um, it was uh, funnier than the last one, <laughs> but Thor Ragnarok was the best for the humor. Um, it. Uh, it seemed a lot more better, like it's a, a, a lot better before you pointed everything out. Um, I would probably say that I would still rent well, it rather than bin it, though. Oh, that's disgusting that you bin the first one and you're renting this garbage. Yeah, sorry. You bought Red Sparrow. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah, that's um, my opinion. But overall, the movie, like, what did you enjoy about the movie? I already told you. People have been listening to it for an hour, two and a half hours. What no, I they've enjoyed. been listening to two two hours and forty five minutes of me talking, and you've been like, yeah, yeah. That's no, I've been I've been in here too. Yeah. No, it was it was funny. Like it was funnier than the last one. I enjoyed the characters. I I wish that they did a better job with Quicksilver <laughs> because, you know, like you said, you know, with us being used to the quality of the character that we got from X Men, it wasn't as good. But, um. I don't know, like, I think it's a cool movie, but I think a lot of it doesn't make sense. Yeah, a whole lot of it doesn't make sense. Uh, just going over the... Even, like, for me, like, at the, at the end or whatever, when they're talking about Thanos, it's like, for, for me, like, you you probably know who he is or whatever mm-hmm. for me in comics, but, like, for me, I'm just like, I don't know who this big purple dude is. <laughs> Barney's dad, right? <laughs> uncle, listen. Or uncle. Uh, so just going over the box office here, um, I actually want to pull up the box office of the first movie so we could do, like, a side-by-side comparison. But, uh, well, I'll I'll go through the uh, um, overall box office here first. So, uh, Avengers 1, uh, 2012, three years earlier, which set, like, every box office record. It was, like, the second highest grossing movie of all time at the time it came out. Uh, That movie did 
623 million dollars domestically. Age of Ultron did 459, so it's down about well, close to 200 million dollars, which still for any movie to make 459 million dollars domestically, pretty solid. So can't really complain about that. Um, overseas box office was like 895 or 895 million. Sorry. For the first Avengers, this one is 946. This one made more overseas than the original one did. But overall, uh, Avengers won 1.5 billion for box office. Age of Ultron, 1.4 billion. So we're looking at a hundred million dollars difference uh, in the overall box office, which, when you compare the two numbers side by side, doesn't seem like there's that much of a difference. But a hundred million is a big difference. Nevertheless, this was still one of the, I think it was like the third highest grossing movie of all time at the time it came out. Uh, which I can also look up right now. Um, we're looking at all-time worldwide box office. Uh, Age of Ultron is currently sitting 7th with Fast and Furious or Furious 7 at 7th. So uh, I believe in this year, yeah, what we would have had at the time, it would have been, this is also the year of Jurassic World, Force Awakens. So 2015, record-breaking year for box office because uh, of the top 10 highest grossing films of all time right now. I think four of them come from that year, from 2015. Uh, but critically, sad to say, I mean, this one actually still got decent reviews, although I'm going to put a disclaimer on that. If you read closely enough the reviews, most of them are kind of like marginal recommends. Uh, overall, it still has 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I've argued before, one of my complaints with Rotten Tomatoes is it's simply saying, is it a recommend or is it uh, is it a buy it or bin it? There's no rent in here. There's no middle ground. So if a critic said, I barely give this, if a critic says, I give it six out of 10, well, that's, you know, a, a recommend. If they say, I give it four out of 10, that's a, or five out of 10, that's like a not recommend. Um, 75% is uh, the amount of critics that gave this a recommend, but the average rating is only 6.7 out of 10. So even though this still got, you know, tons of positive reviews. Most of the positive reviews were only marginally positive reviews. Um, just to go over some of the reviews that we have here, I thought this one uh, was pretty appropriate. Peter Travers, our friend Peter Travers from Double Seven, Age of Ultron is a whole summer of fireworks packed into one movie. It doesn't just go to eleven; it starts there. Joss Whedon takes a few wrong turns, creating a jumble when the action gets too thick, but he recovers like a pro, devising a spectacle that's epic in every sense of the word. Uh, you're an idiot, Peter Travers. Um, someday an Avengers film might collapse under the weight of its own awesomeness. I mean, how many times can they save the world? But this is not that day. I just want to say, when, when you're talking about it doesn't go to 11, it starts there and weight of its own awesomeness. I don't know how serious you could take these critics. Uh, some of the negative ones that we have here. Uh, there are so many plots in this movie and so many scenes that are just there to set up future movies. It moves too fast. Hardcore fans will find enough to enjoy here, but I found the pace at times slow, the visual effects somewhat disappointing, particularly compared to The Winter Soldier, and the story less than engrossing. Uh, let's go through maybe uh, one more here. More does not necessarily equal better. Here, more is just meh. Uh, overall, this was a movie that when it came out, people said it divided critics. I think that's a fair way of uh, saying it. You know, Even if you go through like whatever the highest-ranked Marvel movies are, even on IMDb, this is, I guess, in the bottom half. Uh, I think that this people are still way too kind to this movie. It's not a good movie at all. Uh, awards, it won some People's Choice Awards, <laughs> some Teen Choice Awards. I guess that's the audience, so good for them. 
Uh, obviously, it set up Civil War, which we were going to get a year later. Ant-Man came after this, and uh, uh, you know, this is kind of the launching point of let's wrap up our franchises of Captain America and Thor and everything else. And as you're watching on a baby monitor, Casper roll out of his bed and start to cry. I have a feeling it's that time. We're going to have to start wrapping this up. <laughs> you gave this movie a rent it. Any defense you can give to that? I'm not going to go as hardcore disagreeing with you as I am the first time. Because this isn't a buy it to bin it ratio, or at least a little closer. Because I'm so binning this movie. But you have any defense of it? No, I just, I just don't think I feel strongly enough to bin it. I feel very strongly, as you've heard on this episode. Like this movie is garbage. There's some, there's nothing in here that's great. The good things about this movie are just okay. The bad things about this movie, sometimes they're just not okay. Other times they're just bad. There is nothing great in this movie. Joss Whedon kind of agreed. <laughs> so two weeks before this movie came out, this is before reviews even hit. It wasn't like he's like, oh, it didn't get good reviews. Joss Whedon started making negative comments about working with Marvel and about how um, he he fought, felt they stripped power away from him as a director, that uh, they just ended up making a movie. He was just a hired gun and everything. A completely different experience he had on the first one. Uh, you can kind of see that when you look at like the directors Marvel hires. They usually hire completely unknown directors or people just getting their big break. At this point, Joss Whedon had become a bigger name. So he obviously was taking issue with Marvel and uh, their control over these movies or, I guess, not giving any creative control. He wasn't happy with it. He wasn't happy with the finished product. He walked away from Marvel. He deleted his Twitter account. He basically had nothing to do with uh, this movie once it came out and has since jumped ship to DC, which... You know, he came on to take over the reshoots of Justice League after, you know, Joss Whedon's daughter um, died, you know, and they had an urgent need for him. Still, I don't think that he's attached anymore, but he was developing a Batgirl movie, which would be really exciting. I still am a fan of Joss Whedon. I don't blame him for this movie. I'm not going to blame Marvel because I don't know the whole story. But when the director walks away before the reviews even come out and is critical of the studio, I think it's safe to say the problems maybe aren't the director's problems. Uh Jamie, anything else you want to mention here before we quickly talk about Infinity War? Casper's pulling stuff out of his dresser, I can see. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. Dynamite drop-in, Jamie, thanks. It's great to have you on these episodes for three hours. It's a long time to have stuff to say. I don't know what to say uh, anymore. I've said everything I want to say. Can't wait to hear you on Mission Impossible. Uh, <laughs> anyways, that's it. We're going to be coming back next week. Really hoping to have Ben on it. Uh, still up in the air. We haven't nailed down a time, but it was the plan. Ben's going to do an Infinity War preview with us. And don't just tune into it to hear an Infinity War preview. We're going to talk about all the Marvel movies, Iron Man to Black Panther, everything, uh, giving quick reviews of all of them, and uh, I guess our overall rankings of all the movies leading up until now. So that's what's still to come. Uh, outside of that, I don't know any other episodes coming out this week. You can listen to my review of A Quiet Place that just went up. Uh, that's pretty much it for movies. I may have a couple more reviews coming out. By the way, Casper is playing with some toys now in his room. He's wandering around. He has not yet opened his door. He's content just to be by himself. Um, funny story to end the episode on is, uh, you know, Casper found a way to crawl out of his crib, which we discovered. He's two years old. Um, most kids do it at three. He's very big for a two-year-old. But we're just watching him. This is more entertaining than Age of Ultron, by the way, watching Casper on a uh, monitor right now. Uh, we should do this instead of an Avengers episode. <laughs> he's a, he's the troublemaker. It's yeah. pretty entertaining. He's making his way to the door right now. He's oh, hopefully he doesn't pull he's that. Pulling down. a storage bin, a little dangling storage bin. Uh, all right, he moved away. From, this is more entertaining than Age of Ultron, by the way. Anyways, um, 
that's it for this episode. We'll be back soon with an Infinity War preview. And my name is Colin, and I don't care about a closing line for this movie. This movie's garbage. And my name is Jamie, and this movie was good, and now it's just below okay after you explained everything. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.